podcast, The Final Frontier. These are the conversations of the friendship Matt Myra and Andrew Secunda. Their continuing mission. To seek out old adventures with contrived civilizations. To boldly watch episodes that one of them has watched before. Hey everyone, welcome to Star Trek The Next Conversation. It's a Star Trek podcast that takes so many hours to listen to that by the end of it, you're like, wow, I could have watched five episodes of Star Trek by then. I'm Matt. I'm Andy. Andy. Oh, season five is, uh, we're, we're almost going to wrap it up in five weeks. It's 26 episode season. We're up to episode 21, if you can believe it. It's the perfect mate, or as I like to call it, Captain Picard needs a girlfriend. Uh, let me answer the question no one has asked, Andy. Here we go. Matt, would you have them watch this episode? I would if you were like, ugh, I need a 44-minute nap. Buckle up. <laughs> I, can t- I, can tell you, I can tell you right from the top, Matt and I may be on different sides in this episode. Oh, really? <laughs> Which is going to prompt the, uh, the playing of, uh, of a soundbite well-beloved by you most of all. <laughs> For the most... <laughs> Through most of the episode. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess. I don't know. It's a wild one. If uh, by wild you mean like so many breaks in <laughs> protocol, you could have avoided a lot of problems here. <laughs> well, if you're just talking about the uh, the the accuracy of a protocol, that's a separate issue. Well, I'm talking about the emotional content, Matt. Oh, okay. Well, you know, you, much like Picard, fall asleep most nights with a good book in your hand. Uh, yeah, a good book. I, I being mean, a pizza. Look, it's what was last week's episode? It was um, uh, cost of living. Cost of li- oh, that was a doozy too. Yeah, we really. Oh well, God. see, I like this one. So if uh, you and I are on the same, if you, but definitely atypical episodes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's the fifth season. Why not? They they can explore. They can jump around and see what's doing. But yeah. uh, I'll tell you what we're doing, Andy. We're heading into the Admirals Club. Here we go. Go to leave a five-star review and join the Admirals Club. Matt, they ba 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 Leave a five-star review. Leave a five-star review and you'll be welcome into the Admirals Club. Our first Admiral, Admiree, Ad, Under, yeah, admirals Club admitting, yeah, yeah, we're admitting them in. Yeah. Okay, great. They're not admirals. Okay, correct. Um, correct. Is a RC Cola fan. Uh-huh. Um, what is the taste difference between an RC Cola and a Coke? Is that the Maybe? review? No, I'm asking you. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, RC, I think, is a little less sweet, sort of Pepsi-ish. Hmm. If I if I if, I remember, if than... I remember it correctly from my youth, Royal Crown Cola. Remember that episode of All in the Family where Mike Stivick was like, "Oh, I can tell the difference between Pepsi Coke and Royal Crown Cola." I do. I don't. I do. And could he, or was he was he being a meathead? I believe he could. He was not being a meathead, even though he's yeah. usually being a meathead, according to Archie Bunker. 
I appreciate that you gave him the dignity of his name and didn't call him Meathead in the description of that episode. <laughs> yeah, I don't know <laughs> why. Shows you where, where you emotionally sided. I don't know show. why the full Mike Stimmick <laughs> popped into my head, but boy, I love. I I watched so much All in the Family as a kid. And I um, believe okay, it or the, not, uh, believe it or not, Andy, I understood that Archie was in the wrong, and we were making fun of those people. Somehow, unlike, you, somehow you put that together. Unlike the rest of the country. <laughs> okay. Uh, R.C. Cola writes us, strongly recommended for music fans. There are many music-focused podcasts out there, but this one is by far the best. Matt is an accomplished musician and shares his love of music with eager non-musician Andy. Listeners are encouraged to submit original songs for critique, and each podcast episode <laughs> delves into what the chart-topping songs were from random weeks in the early 1990s. They also have an ongoing Frank Sinatra segment. My one suggestion, fix the audio feed and mic levels because you can hear a TV show playing in the background. Come on. <laughs> Oh, that was, I really, I was like bracing myself because that felt like it was a real criticism and I worked so hard on the audio of the show. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, oh. it's Matt, Matt has been through the ringer lately yeah, trying, to, trying to work a... out the, the technical specifics of us being in different places. It's, it's so bizarre, everyone at home, because we have to be in different places and hear the exact same things. And yeah. I can't let Andy's audio from this uh, Zoom situation or Skype situation bleed in. I need his pure audio form. It's it's a wild situation, but uh, I demand my pure audio. Yeah, form. we we get it. It should theoretically. I can't have a sullied audio form. Theoretically, so it demands should, the best. It should sound like we're in the same room most of the time. So um, he's been doing a hero's work. Yeah. Um, so we're we're doing the best we can. <laughs> uh, the second uh, admiral admittee is Withak Two, who writes best podcast I've ever heard with Matt and Andy as hosts. <laughs> I've been a huge. Uh, I've been a huge fan of Star Trek The Next Conver uh, uh, the next Generation my whole life. I grew up borderline poor, and because of that, my dad always had to work to keep us uh, afloat. Mm -hmm. One of my happiest memories from childhood was staying up with him to watch TNG. Now Matt and Andy are bringing back a lot of those memories for me by talking about each episode in such detail. As an adult, I, watch, I still watch TNG whenever I get the chance, but I don't uh, get to have as many in-depth conversations about it uh, as I did with my dad. Thank you so much, uh, both, for your time. Keep on trekking. Oh. Thank you with Act 2. That is a very sweet Admiral's Club entry, and I'm happy that you are in this exclusive, fully carpeted club. Thank you for joining us. We, we appreciate the sentimental ones and the funny ones. Andy, does that... Um, and that's it that for it. the Admiral's Club. All right. Sorry? Well, suppose, since we're out uh, of the Admiral's Club, we should probably... Head over to the United Federation of Planets President's Circle. Here we go. The United Federation of Planets President's Circle. Mm, here we are, everybody. Hollow so DJ beautiful. is taking a break since there's been so much more audio to handle. <laughs> In case yeah. anyone's wondering, <laughs> I, I've, it's now come to the point, just... everyone, where I have to I, I lay in the audio of the warp uh, of the engines after the fact. It's it's uh, it's. Oh, you know what? It did sound a little quiet. quiet. Well, I took. I mean, it won't sound quiet later. later but... I didn't want it to be like so. Oh, you're saying it sounds quiet now? Yes. Right. right. Our yeah. impulse engines are down, Andy. We're floating in space. 
No. Is there a real? No, it, it's, you, you don't. don't you don't. What do you hear on the on ship, ship in the in show, show when they're fully uh, motionless? motionless? Do you, do you hear, hear anything? anything? Are the, the engines engine still going? going? Uh, I don't know. Do they're you hear the so warp core humming? Are they? So rarely are they without engines. Um, I guess, I guess even, even if they're, they're at warp, warp they'd, they'd be sort of making, making adjustments with impulse engine. engine. Uh, not, not warp, in orbit. orbit. They'd be making yeah, adjustments you'd, with... You'd, uh, yeah, I mean, look, I'm not going to argue with the sound design of Star Trek The Next Generation. That's not <laughs> That's for good. me to do. <laughs> That's nice. Um, okay, uh, our first Christopher Pike Medal of Valor awardee. Uh, the way you... you know what I forgot to do is explain... Uh, yeah. What the President Circle is Hey everyone, we have a Patreon It supports the show, keeps us going We have uh, been wowed by your support uh, So far since this whole thing has happened That Andy and I are doing uh, Extra shows in there uh, Right now, if you become a President Circle member You're getting four extra podcasts every month uh, Enterprise Voyager Discovery uh, and a Marvel movie All at the President's level And these Presidents can send us a message and they are then eligible for a President's Circle Special Award. It is the Christopher Pike Medal of Valor. So, Andy, who's getting that award this month and week? This month, Matt, uh, we heard from Lieutenant Brian Harkins, who wrote us, Andy, Matt, in regards to the discussion of the... Oh, this was going back to the first duty, um, but I thought it was oh, you uh, mean, pertinent. You mean the truth? The truth? Remember, we had a just a very brief conversation I mean, about. Look, it's the truth. I mean, I the first duty. What, what was the first duty? It's the, truth. the first duty. The truth. Was it something else? A uh, lot of comments. Uh, some people have written in, uh, mocking me uh, for um, for what they perceive to be my denseness and not understanding. And uh, and other people have written in saying later episodes disprove that it is the first duty. So, which was my contention. Uh, so Wait, how who could knows? you have a contention with episodes you haven't seen yet? Uh, oh no, I'm not saying. Oh, you're saying that, that based on the, the saying, information I had, I'm saying, even if that is true, yes, they've given you an out. I was didn't deserve. Oh man, here we go back into the quicksand. What my statement was was that it seems like an odd statement for Picard to make that that is the primary duty in a world where there is the prime directive amongst many other. Uh, things uh, that that would that would be uh, obligations of a Starfleet officer. That was all I was saying. I wasn't saying I had proof. I was just saying it seemed odd to me. Mm-hmm. Anyway, all this I have is what to say to you can't is, handle the truth. There you go. That's what <laughs> I have to say to you. <laughs> it's funny to watch his eyes sort of defocus as he you can't the handle the truth <laughs> to come at me. Um, anyway, this is what Brian Harkins has to say about the whole issue. Andy Matt, in regards to the discussion of the truth, here's my take. At Cornell University, they have an incredible piece of scientific equipment known as the Tunneling Electron Microscope. Now, this microscope is so powerful that by firing electrons, you can actually see images of the atom, the infinitesimally minute building block of our universe. Andy, Matt, if I were using that microscope right now, I still wouldn't be able to locate my interest in your problem. <laughs> Fraser has left the building. <laughs> I think is really a scientifically accurate breakdown that of is, uh, that incredibly long conversation. That is a had. classic, uh, I believe that is uh, Niles delivers that to Roz. <laughs> um... 
Did Niles have a lot of busts on Roz? Yeah, I guess he did. Oh, yeah, they he? were always going back and forth whenever they interacted, which was rare, but it happens. Well, it was rare. Is this a good show? Is this Frasier? Is it a good show? Should I see Frasier? Great show, Andy. You should really see <laughs> Frasier. <laughs> Lieutenant Kelly Coe writes us, um, and this is in regards to uh, Cost of Living. Alexander never looks Deanna Troy in the eyes. It's very disconcerting. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's really true. Um, Sir Lieutenant Sir Reginald P- uh, Pennybottom writes us, uh, This episode reminds me of the first time I took LSD. My acid trip was eight hours long and had a much better plot. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, there were a lot of there were a lot of hails <laughs> about nobody's favorite episode, Cost of Living. But, uh, but those Coleman, were, wait, so those are those are these are all President Circle. These are all Medal of Valor winning hails. Correct. Gotcha. Do you want me to br- break it down differently? No, I'm just asking. I'm asking. I just oh, yeah. didn't want you to jump into the hails without you realizing you jumped into the hails. Sorry, no, no. I have it all broken down <laughs> by category. Colm Hayes or Column Hayes, if we uh, use the, uh, uh, the the Irish pronunciation. Or we uh, writes use us, the way Arthur Morgan says Colm. No, how does he, is he, he just says Colm O'Driscoll. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah, come on. Um, this episode must have the biggest deflation between cold open and post-opening <laughs> credit se- scene ever. The first line we hear from Picard is fire, and the cold open proceeds, and we're ready for an interesting episode. Immediately after the credits, we're thinking, oh no, at the sight of and sound of Alexander. Not even some wonderful Michael Dorn comedic acting can abate this feeling of whiplash. Uh, and then Neil, Lieutenant Neil Studd follows that up with, would it blow your mind if I told you that this episode is tied for most Emmy Awards for a TNG episode? It won two for costume, design, and, and makeup. Um, the other TNG episodes, which won two Emmys, are Best of Both Worlds Part 2, uh, Q-Who, and Time's Arrow Part 2. Wow. Strange company. Uh, by the way, I think even the costumes are terrible. They look like, yeah, it's some kind of a, I said Renaissance Fair. Somebody else had a better comparison. I don't remember what it was. Um, Cirque du Soleil. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, very, very, very uh, French and Venetian street performer. Yeah. Uh, Lieutenant Adam Hotz writes us, uh, listening to the podcast has finally inspired me to look up the phrase, the higher, the fewer. <laughs> I really appreciated this deep dive. Uh, I've always been mildly interested in the phrase, and as it seems, as it seemingly makes no sense, according to the English language uh, Stack Exchange site, um, and he has the link. The earliest reference to this phrase is from a letter dated January twenty eighth, eighteen ninety seven, to the Boston Medical and Surgical uh, Journal, which you can I find here. Yes, you are. I am not. Excuse me. If you're gonna argue, you should remember. The higher, the fewer. <laughs> that really should stop us from arguing every time we try to argue, Andy. <laughs> it really should. That is the nonsensicalness of our arguments. Um, anyway, a physician writes in this journal, After reading this remarkable paper, one involuntarily recalls a conundrum propounded most seriously by one lunatic to another. Why is a mouse when it spins? To which the satisfactory answer was, the higher, the fewer. This does fit with the episode, and it seems like this phrase has uh, had a subsequent life as a nonsensical answer to any sort of question and found its way into Stephen King's The Shining as the answer to the riddle, why is a raven like a writing desk? Given the popularity of The Shining, I assume this is how uh, it it made it 
to the TNG writers' room, which I think is a reasonable theory. Uh, here's the uh, here's the top comment on the clip I just played. The higher the fewer equals best advice ever. I was cleaning up the garage and couldn't get rid of the mess. So many plastic tubs. Uh, tried, eliminated, but still no space. Then the quote popped into my head. I grabbed some OSB from outside that had just been sitting around, put it up in the rafters, stored the boxes up there. The higher the boxes were, the fewer that were on the ground. (laughs) (laughs) And then the boxes fell and paralyzed Worf. Um, Lieutenant Mark C., junior transporter operator of the Inside Strait. Um, the Inside Strait, I guess, is his ship. That's a great name for a ship. I like it. It is great, yeah. Um, my theory is that the alien monsters that Alexander was fighting mm. were actually Cardassian. Yeah. And that Diana is just incredibly racist. <laughs> <laughs> so she walked in, saw so fighting monsters. <laughs> Those alien monsters. That uh, is one of my favorite. Uh, favorite tales. And, and then Riker was Mang- like, just make sure they're not next to my quarters. <laughs> I don't get it. Oh, he says that about the Ferengis. <laughs> oh, I see. Right. Yeah, that's true. He is. There's a lot of racism in this one, too. Alien racism. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Lieutenant, <laughs> I know you gave me the spelling, but he just put it in the in the thing, and then I'll see it every time. Frederick Rombouts writes us, there's a fun costume gaffe in this episode. Picard is missing a pip on his collar when he enters the turbo lift with Data at 3710. Uh, very strange seeing Commander Picard. Wow. I didn't notice that. I'm usually staring at his pips constantly. Yeah. Did he send you a screenshot uh, to back it up? If you wish. No, I said I asked you if he did. Did he send you one? Did he send me what? Did he send a you a screenshot? No, he didn't. Oh. He just gave me the, Fine. the thing. I'll believe He him. figured I'm correctly that you would be more interested in actually seeing it than I would. Um, Cosmo Moore, but if you want to, I can No, no, it it's on, okay. Uh, I got it. You do your thing. No, I'm saying this to Frederick. If you want to send it to me, then I'm happy to put it somewhere <laughs> eventually. Uh, Lieutenant Cosmo Moore writes us, Lieutenant Commander Cosmo Moore writes us, uh, best food you've had while on lockdown. Whoa. Where's the first place you're going when things open up? Oh, fucking Netflix. Get out of my face. There's so many noises happening there. I'm sorry. You know, yes. we never got, you never, I never got my Mastro's meal. Yeah, Matthew. well. Are they So we open? could do that. No, well, yes, but that's, now it's delivery. And then it's not good because it doesn't travel great. Uh, not what, I'm not sorry. as good as you would hope. What was no. the question? Best food you've had while in lockdown and what's the first place you're going when things Oh, open? while in lockdown? I'm curious what yours is. Huh. I can answer mine if, in the meantime, if Go you ahead. like. I don't know if it's the best because I've had some really delightful takeout. Uh, I've been really running the rounds because it's all I have to do is look forward to a meal. And uh, the other day I got low-key burritos. Uh, oh, you sure. have to sort of order a slot and then go, and it's um, it's all um, you know socially distant. And um, they uh, they're these amazing burritos, and I think this is becoming a popular thing, which delights me. Where they fry the cheese on the outside of the burrito. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Really crispy and wonderful. Sounds pretty good there. Uh, for me, I think I, you know, I grabbed uh, America's Test Kitchen cookbook off the shelf a couple days ago and and made uh, Bridget's macaroni and cheese, and that was really delightful. Uh, yeah. So that would probably be it. Weirdly, that's fair. Where, uh, where are you going to eat when you get out? 
That's tough because it'd probably be Moza, Osteria Moza. That's fair. Right near you. Yeah, I like a, I like a short walk to a restaurant. Lieutenant don't Louise. Come, don't, don't try to find me, everyone, please. Yeah, you can cut that part out if you want. <laughs> <laughs> Lieutenant Louise Lachlan writes... Uh, hi Matt and Andy from oh he sa- she says hi Matt and Andy from Body Scotland Andy if you read this please do so in an absurd Scottish accent it has been requested folks buckle up hi Matt and Andy from Bonnie Scotland Andy if you read this please do so in an absurd Scottish accent I can't roll my R so it's going to be a hindrance in this accent have loved the pod pood for ages it's been my savior whilst on maternity leave but this is my first time writing in and i can't believe i'm doing so about right said fred what can i say it's strange times we live in anyway here in the uk we are so lucky to have our fantastic national health service who are working tirelessly on the front lines to care about the victims of COVID-19. Right Said Fred made this wee video to show appreciation for our wonderful NHS featuring NHS Shetland who have been making their scrubs out of old bed linen. This is maybe too random to read on the pod, even for TNC. No, it's not. Uh, but hope you, you the video gives you guys a smile at least. Nice. I can't make head nor tail of passion oh Stay safe guys Louise Lachlan from Glasgow, Scotland P.S. That's Louise Lachlan P.P.S. That's Loch as in Loch Ness Not Loch And Glasgow Not Glasgow Thank you Louise um, I'm going to put that up Please uh, don't ask for another accent <laughs> guys uh, ask away I gotta you know I'm, I'm doing a whole segment in Andy Scudder's uh, school specific acting on accents and uh, I need to brush up um, I'm gonna throw that on our Twitter at Star Trek TNC um, and that is it for the uh, for the president circle let's open up those hails Captain, we are being hailed. Our first is from Suzanne Wilson. Cost of living, redeeming quality? Uh, Matt and Andy, as a child development specialist, I have a soft spot for the episode Cost of Living. Don't get me wrong. Uh, It's a terrible episode. Front to back, it's boring as hell and downright annoying. (laughs) But as a professional who works with children day in and day out, I like the idea of using a bizarre holodeck program. I don't know why I said holodeck. So weird. Um, that teaches uh, children through metaphor, characterization, and symbols. A sci-fi take on fairy tales, if you will. Young children and aging adults have always shared a special relationship in society. Both are in a stage of transition where their, quote, usefulness comes into question and uh, they wrestle with their sense of purpose next to adults in their prime. It makes sense to me that Luxana uh, would retreat to childlike exploration of self using Alexander as a conduit and excuse for finding her own self-efficacy as many grandparents do in modern society. While this episode does not do that subject justice, in fact, it falls quite short, I've always appreciated the effort to show uh, the show made to address the complex psychology of children in relationships to adults and what healthy, developing relationships with parents, counselors, and family friends can look like. Thanks for all your rambling and mishaps. Admiral Susie. Uh, thank you, Admiral Susie. And uh, uh, I agree, and I think I, I commented on that. I, the, the one monologue 
Luxana has, I think, is touching and apt, and it's a shame that the episode doesn't back her up on that. Um, next, here's a here's a tech thing for you, buddy. Uh, inertial dampeners from Henry Bolton. Hi, Mandy. I love you guys and appreciate you sticking with the show during all this madness. I've commented about the cost of living you didn't bump on. I thought might have Matt have might have something to say considering it's techno babble issue. When Tinkerbell moves on from the replicators to the inertial dampener, dampers, um, Picard orders that they drop out of warp. I'm no expert, but if the inertial dampers are malfunctioning, wouldn't you want to avoid decelerating from light speed to impulse power? The ship might slow down, but everyone on it will fly at warp four into the wall in front of them. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> anyway, love your work and say hi to Bo and Omar for me. Uh, by the way, is it Bo or B- it's it's the second B A U A U? Beauregard is his full name. Uh, Andy, I had a little audio snafu for the first 22 minutes of this episode where your audio from Skype was coming into both of my channels, and I didn't notice until now. I've corrected the issue, so anyone who's wondering why Andy had maybe, maybe, not definitely, but maybe a slight, 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 slight echo, that's why. Problem has been fixed. Gotcha. Uh, um, he also says, is he named after Dukes of Hazard? He is actually, he's named after, he, we, we adopted him and he had the name Bo, so he could be named after Bo Duke, but Bo Duke, I believe, was a B.O., and uh, I gave him a full Beauregard, you know, just felt more like gentlemanly for my dog. It's not after Bosch? I thought it was after well, Bosch. that's why his last name is Bosch. Well, his middle name, Beauregard Bosch Myra, because I, I wanted to name him Bosch when we got him. Oh, Bosch, Beauregard, Bo is not Bosch's first name. No, Bosch's first name is Hieronymus. <laughs> <laughs> I got to check out this show. So, Harry, Harry Bosch. Uh, I tried, I pitched Hieronymus for Henry's name. Yeah. Uh, that would have been Dory was great. not going for it. Hieronymus Myra is a great name. Uh-huh. I agree. Um, but... We all we all we live and learn, everybody. We live and learn and uh look, that's that's Bo's spelling. And he's not a Duke, <laughs> uh, sadly. He's not Coy, Vance, Bo, or Luke. Uh, uh nice nice tie up. Yeah. <laughs> um and that was from all the best, uh, Henry Bolton pronounced Henry Bolton. Um Lieutenant Mark C uh writes us uh this is one of our lieutenants. Uh once again, I have no idea how the computer voice interface is supposed to work. Worf says, computer, what is the location of Alexander Roshenko? The computer answers, and Troy immediately asks, is he alone? The computer answers, even though Troy didn't preface it with computer. Apparently, the computer will respond to anyone asking a question in the room. Pretty inconvenient for all concerned. Um, And then he has Andy's Picard voice. Um, Everybody, I'm about to ask you you know who a question so please only respond to me with a statement if you actually have a question such as upon hearing this information one might wonder why data is not aboard the ship okay here we go computer uh but seriously there must be dozens of examples where someone asks a question immediately after someone else consulted the computer about where someone is or how long the ship explodes how long until the ship you know explodes. i've tried to figure out the uh machinations of the uh computer the Elcar system and the communication system, and you know, I can't, I can't figure that out. I feel like there's an AI involved. I feel like the uh, 
I mean, obviously there's an AI involved, but I think uh, I think that that's built into the AI is it's sort of evaluating when it should be listening and answering and when it shouldn't. Well, I hope. Although uh, that's that, highly suspect. I hope that AI didn't have control. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, what is the distinction? I guess control was more advanced. Although it was, no, it couldn't have been more advanced. Maybe they reduced the AI's capacity? Who knows? Hey, maybe that's it. That, but that's probably where it's heading. We're, we're talking disco now, sorry. That's um, but maybe where, where it's heading is at the end of the season, the reason the computer's so dumb in TOS is because they were like, all right, no more AI for a long time. <laughs> we're going to reduce everything to the dumbest version. I bet Pike was um, like, you know what? I don't like AI anymore. Rip it out. Just like yeah. you did with my holograph projector communications. That's the weirdest uh, thing they retconned. The the holog, holog, hologram? That the, that Pike asked number one on her way out to make sure that the Enterprise has all of its hologram things pulled. And they would only it, communicate on view screens from now on on the Enterprise. Would you say they had to address that? They they did address point? that. Oh, when did they address it? In, like, the second episode. What did they say? He asked for all of it to be ripped out. No, no, I'm saying, don't you think that that was... You're saying it's weird that they retconned it. I'm saying, don't they, didn't they kind of have to? What, what, what? They're picking and choosing. Everything, they're, they're like, well, <laughs> this is okay, but that's not. That's okay, but this isn't. Maybe they haven't gotten to all the retcons yet. Oh, my God. So stupid. <laughs> Whatever the case, uh, except for these last two episodes, which we had a problem with, we're really enjoying our disco run uh, this this season. Oh, join us on Patreon and see if you also enjoy it. Um. Uh. By the way, uh, talking about uh, watching stuff uh, together, uh, Lieutenant Phoebe Phillips from our face group alerted us that there was another listening party happening in the pod. They're listening to uh, sort of live runs of the podcast. Sounds very fun. So if you're interested in joining, uh, jump into the face group. Bunch of Please lovely people. Facebook section. Four star drag and ask conversation. I thought I should bring it to your attention. Oh, now to the rest of the programmation. Fair. Um, and then we have one prime corrective, which is the hail that I believe you have. Uh, there we go. Hey, Matt and Andy. I know your guys' uh, uh, number one, uh, that what you're dedicated to is the truth. So with that being <laughs> said, uh, quick prime corrective from your episode, The Cost of Living. Uh, as you guys were riffing on how uh, the writer's room broke the story of who they might bring in and ultimately ended up on uh, Loxana and Alexander. Um, Matt casually mentioned Chancellor Gorkon and bringing him back. Um, Star Trek in order 6. to do that, you would be bringing him Time back machine. from the dead and from Star Trek <laughs> 6, the undiscovered country. I believe Gowron could probably say Gowron. Anyway, love the podcast. You guys are awesome. Thanks. It's my first time hearing that, for the record. Can't. So my corrections <laughs> came along with you. I knew it when I did it, and I can't chose to skip it, it thinking it's people really... can't be as picky as I am, and I was wrong. <laughs> you're at your most nerdy when you're pre-correcting a prime correct. <laughs> Just Matt. 
Jess Matt. That's that's what um, I to the end of that. That is it uh, for the hails. If you would like to uh, send a hail, send it to sdtncpod at gmail.com, or you can obviously join our Patreon where you will get uh, priority access on our priority uh, one message posting. Um, so if you belong to the Patreon, put your put your hails there, um, and I'll read those first. And uh, if you'd like to contact Matt on Twitter or Instagram, he said that they were getting priority one access, so I never played the priority one message sound. Well, it's because it's sort of part of the president circle, so it seems like you'd be doubling up on messages. What's that? It seems like you'd be doubling up on messages because they're already part of the president circle and getting their Pike Medal of Valor, so... I don't know. Oh, I Would you want to switch Pike, out? I assumed Pike Medal of Valor was a separate situation from the hail bag. And I thought it, in the hail bag, there are priority one messages that come from our Patreon folks. Well, I can break it down this way. Basically, what I do is, uh, because I don't want to have to sort them out, I have one place where all of the hails for the last week's TNC episode are under one posting. Also, that way, the lieutenant's level and the president's level can interact. Um, and that's under priority one messages. And then I just sort out who are the Pike Medal of Valor president level amongst them. Oh, interesting. I don't care. But I split it up so that the lieutenant's levels are in the regular hails. Hmm. But we can do a separate... If you want, if you want to, if you want to play even more, we can do president's level. Then we can do priority one messages. Then we can do regular hails. But the president's level, the Christopher Pike Medal of Valor, I always thought was just a random whatever they wanted to say situation, and not necessarily related to the previous episode. I feel well, like they're all in the whatever last you six want. Six weeks or so, I feel like it's become more about what's happening over in the previous episode of TNC. Probably because well, we're the- recording more episodes now. I think that's true, but I also feel like they've been. I feel like you you uh, you listen to yourself talk, but you and then you don't play the jingles. But when I'm talking, you play the jingles. Just FYI. Well, also, just FYI, there's a late there's a little delay latency, and sometimes I click that before you start talking. And All right, fair enough. That happens, and I try to pause it sometimes. Other times, I just let it go and then hope you repeat yourself. But you're. You're heard by the audience, sometimes not by me. I'm have sadly I have the same speakers for both you and the sound clip. You're really getting into the behind the scenes of the podcast this week, folks. I really am Inside Baseball with Matt, Andy, and Captain Cisco. There you go. I feel like the inside baseball is uh should be applied only to the show, not to our stupidity. Wow. Um Whatever the case, uh, I had several things I was going to say. Now they've all gone out of my head. All right, Andy, it's time to leave the uh, hail bag, close it up, zip it up tight. And now we get to talk about the episode. We crossed many doors to many places. Your hails made us think of all your faces. Sit comfortably in your humble abode. Let's talk about this week's episode. Yes. So. Oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say, yes, it's this week's episode, The Perfect Mate. That's all I was going to (laughs) say. 
<laughs> I apologize for ruining your flow. Uh, before we get into this day in Trek, um, uh, I just wanted to uh, read this hail. Oh, you could do incoming message for this one if you can find that one. Wait, what? <laughs> this is we closed the hails. I know, but this is regarding this day in Trek. Captain, incoming message. Incoming message. Also, every once in a while, you play that at an inappropriate time. I this know. is the appropriate time. Um, so uh, our old friend, Lieutenant Commander Matthew Kirk, who is the first person to send in this day in Treks uh, ongoing for a long time, uh, had not written for a while. And I uh, feared that I, I had offended him at some point or anything, you know, any number of neurotic thoughts that went through my head or I was worried for him. Um, and uh, he heard me talking about him on the podcast and he wrote in. Hey there, Andy. Thanks for the note. Ever since the lockdown started, I've been busy at work as an essential employee, um, uh, an essential employee as we supply hospitals and universities with materials to develop a COVID-19 vaccine. As a newly minted supervisor with our expanded staff, I just haven't had the free time to uh, keep up with the steady stream of weekly pods you guys have been churning out. I'm glad to see that the torch has been passed on to the next historian, and I wish you guys nothing but the best. Uh, thanks for the mentions on the pod. It's been gratifying to hear Live Long and Prosper. So I just wanted to send the shout out to uh, Lieutenant Commander Matthew Kirk uh, for his duty to us. Hang on. Let's be clear. Go ahead. We're only thanking him for writing this day in Trek. As, as opposed to helping the essential yep. employees? I've decided. Yes, no. We want that nope. very clearly defined. Clear. Matthew Kirk. <laughs> You'll get your, your promotion outside is, of this show. <laughs> your promotion is only because of writing what happened when a Star Trek episode played. It is not <laughs> for helping these uh, brave people in hospitals who are fighting for all of our lives. Matthew Kirk, uh, you uh, are a gentleman. We knew that the way you uh, provided all that information for us, and now you provide actual uh, needed things. And uh, your character is... Uh, is true, my friend. And uh, the torch has now been passed uh, to uh, Lieutenant uh, Commander Zach. Oh, I, I would like to promote Zach Wilson to Lieutenant Commander. <laughs> is that all right, Matt? It's Wait, your call. Uh, didn't I? Don't I have a promotion thing? Oh, here oh, we go. Maybe. Now hear this. Now hear this. A promotion has been made, Lieutenant uh, what was Mike Wilson. Uh, Zach Wilson. Zach, sorry. Lieutenant Zach Wilson is now Lieutenant Commander Zach Wilson. You did it. All set. <laughs> he has sent us the rest of the, uh, the This Day in Treks, the rest of Season 5. I think he's working on some Patreon uh, This Day in Treks for uh, Voyager as well. Oh. Um, and here, ooh, ooh, you got the Voyager companion oh, there. Yeah. Nice. It's going to be. Gonna be full of facts for all of us, and that and that is not Nemechek, huh? No, it is uh, Paul uh, Ruditis. I think I'm going to order that before we air this, so I can get the. It might be hard to get these days. Yeah, you got to buy a used copy for thirty bucks. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, so the by sun- the way, fucking spoiler alert on the cover. I don't. I don't even see. But if it's the last season, I don't want to see. Well, it's the Voyager flying by the Golden Gate Bridge. What? What are you telling me that for? Because Why you did were you put order that on the book anyway? You'd get it in the mail. Oh yeah, I guess that's true. But don't tell them. <laughs> 
If anyone had the ending of Voyager spoiled, write in and tell me. Ugh, I, I hate this. I hate it when we spoil things. I really disapprove. Um, I spoil it. Fuck you. It's Voyager. We all know how it ended. Admiral no. Janeway is in Star Trek. No, I don't, I don't want to hear it. I'm not listening. I'm not listening. Um, you know what? We don't know what the specifics were. I just don't want to hear any details. You don't know what the specifics were of this. The cover of the book you're ordering. You're giving... Well, I would have granted. I would have seen it on the cover. But I don't want to tell them. They might not be ordering the book. Oh, my God. No one listening to this I just cares. don't don't agree. You uh, you don't have an ethic where you try to protect from spoilers. I absolutely I do. do. I protect you constantly. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> you fucker. Oh, my God. I could turn off mate. that layer of protection in this episode and start spoiling <laughs> things for you, but I won't. Please don't. Oh, my God. The Perfect God. Mate aired April 27, 1992. <laughs> and uh, the song in the U.S. was Crisscross uh, Jump, uh, but I would uh, suggest... You have a suggestion? I would suggest we hear Deeply Dipply, Again. Deeply Dippy by Right Said Fred. Let the neighbors talk deeply, dippy, I'm your Superman. I'll no memory. Um, the Pelican Brief by John Grisham was the number one book. Uh, the L.A. riots started on April 29th, and the Time Magazine cover was the untold story of Pan Am 103. Let's set sail for seeds of passion now. All right. Frank Sinatra, Let's come on. Happening. It's time for that segment everybody hates. <laughs> time for Frank Sinatra, come on. It's time to find out what Frank Sinatra was doing when The Perfect Mate aired. Probably watching it. But besides watching it, Fly Andy. To the moon. You think Frank was watching The Perfect oh, Mate? Oh, yeah. This one sounds like it's really saucy. I gotta check it out. Hey, uh, turn on that space show with Baldy. <laughs> um, he reminds me of Don Rickles. Uh, here we go. Uh, the previous night found Frank singing at the Jacksonville Memorial Coliseum in Florida. He was continuing his tour with Shirley MacLaine. They had both appeared in the film version of Around the World in 80 Days 26 years earlier, only he had a brief cameo. Uh, although he ha only had a brief cameo. They both had major billing in Some Came Running and Can Can, and McLean shows up in an uncredited cameo in the 1960s, uh, 1960 Ocean's Eleven. Who's uncredited? In other words... Uh. Yes. Check, Ocean's down. Eleven. Relax, relax to the sounds of Sinatra. If you haven't Sinatra. watched the original Ocean's Eleven, don't bore yourself. It's really not a good movie. All the people are delightful in it. Sure. But yes, it's very slow and weirdly logy. It's also like a terrible plan. And I don't know why. What, what is the plan? Should... I don't remember. Well, I mean, their plan is the same. They're going to rob the casino. But it's all the same army buddies. Like, they're all connected. They're all, like, it's not like a group of people that will be hard to figure out who did it. <laughs> right. And, you know, they get found out by uh, by uh, Cesar Romero and his famous mustache. 
Yeah. It's a good it's a it's a good time for a terrible movie. Now, The Perfect Mate, of course, directed by Cliff Bowl, teleplay by Gary Percante and Michael Piller, story by Renee Echevarria and Gary Percante. Creosian ambassador Briam arrives aboard the Enterprise with peace uh, with a peace offering from his people to the ruler of Vault Minor. The gift, Briam declares, is priceless and is intended to end years of war with the Creos and Vault Minor. Picard immediately orders the object being delivered in a stasis field off limits to his crew. So, no lock on the door. That was me editorializing. Uh, en route to Vault Minor, the Enterprise rescues two Ferengi from a shuttle distress, uh, an act of mercy that soon backfires when the Ferengi are caught attempting to steal the Creosian gift. In the process, the stasis field protecting the item is shattered, revealing a beautiful and exotic woman, Kamala. She is an empathic metamorph, genetic rarity among her people. Such creatures are born only once every seven generations. Kamala can be what any man wants her to be, educated to fulfill her role as a peacemaker. She has been prepared from birth to bond with Vault's ruler, Ulrich. The Ferengi interference has caused her to be released prematurely, and the ambassador insists she be confined to her room until Ulrich arrives. Oof, can't read. The move sets off Dr. Crusher, who complains to Picard the entire affair smacks of prostitution. Picard gamely cites the Prime Directive, but understands the Ambassador's request after seeing the effect Kamala has on the crew. When Briam is accidentally injured by the Ferengi, Picard is forced to turn to Kamala to help him in performing the Ambassadorial duties. Uh, soon finds even his legendary resistance weakening. Kamala is drawn to him as well. She tells Picard he is the first man who has suggested she has value in and of herself. Ulrich finally arrives and confides to Picard he cares more about treaties and trade than he does for his peace bride. Just before reconciliation ceremony, a sad Kamala tells Picard she has chosen to bond with him rather than become the woman Ulrich expects her to be. She assures a visibly shaking Picard she'll carry out her duties nonetheless, and he will carry out his. And that is the end of Larry Nemechek's description of the episode. Is she... I don't know. Is that accurate? Does she say she's chosen? I feel like she's just said she has bonded with him. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to argue with Dr. Trek. It's the Star Trek well, you know Generation what? Companion Revised Edition. You know, at one point, uh, I was right about uh, some issue about Spot, and Dr. Trek was wrong, so... You know, Look, again, I, feel I like, won't argue with him. You're welcome to. You have a better track record than I do. I feel like, blow for blow, <laughs> I am doing pretty well against... Krios. You are you are his most formidable opponent. <laughs> for Star Trek knowledge. Yes. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> Uh, believe it or not, everyone, Andy's Star Trek knowledge uh, sends Dr. Trek for the hills. They call me um, Baron Von Trek. <laughs> <laughs> Captain right, Trek? Let's check in on the Enterprise. Captain's log, Stardate 45761.3. In an effort to bring an end to their centuries-long war, Krios and Vault Minor have agreed to a ceremony of reconciliation to be held aboard the Enterprise at a point midway between their two systems. I apologize for the delay in our arrival, Ambassador Briam. We had to stop at Harrod Ford to pick up a group of stranded miners. 
please, Captain. We are grateful that the Federation has taken as much interest as it has. You know, if you missed that line at the very top of the show, you would also be confused by those miners inside <laughs> Stent Forward. I was so confused. I forgot it completely. It is. I will say that. Do they mention that they're miners or is it they just seem like miners? Because I was like, these guys seem like miners, but I don't know. Uh, I don't. I mean, Picard mentions it right there. That's all what I is remember it being mentioned. Yeah. Interesting. But they do. I mean, they're all wearing the same outfit. They're all uh, gregarious and outgoing. They, they could be in, like, a Devo band. They're all afraid of Worf. Was Commander LaForge able to provide you with the special cargo handling provisions you requested? Indeed he was. However, uh, until we reach uh, the rendezvous with the Valtese, may I ask that the cargo bay be declared off-limits to all but the most essential personnel? I trust, Ambassador, that this cargo is in no way dangerous. Oh, no, nothing of the sort. I'm cautious because it's quite fragile and quite irreplaceable. Bridge to Captain Picard. Go ahead. Captain, we've just picked up a distress call kind from a barking shuttle. At Riker there. Uh, I do... Does he... Does he say that he will heed the request? Set a course to intercept. Aye, sir. Captain, the timing of our ceremony with Ulrich is critical. It cannot be delayed. We'll be at the rendezvous on schedule. Don't worry. Excuse me. So he never answers the question, so... Krios and oh, sorry. He probably forgets to, to lock yeah. the cargo bay door. <laughs> uh, all right, so they beam these uh, Ferengis on board. We may need to attempt a long-range transport. Standing by. Energize. Got them, sir. Mr. Worf, escort our Ferengi guests to quarters. Not too close to mine. Understood. Take that attitude off my bridge, Commander Riker. Yeah. It's very, very rude. It really is. It's pretty crazy. It's also interesting that it's like, with that level of of racism, um, that... They even allow that, like, if their stance is Ferengis are inherently untrustworthy, and I understand why they would have that stance based on the ones they've come into contact with, although it's very not not Federation-y, um, then why do they let them roam free? Uh, you know, I think that they've been rescued. There's no formal declaration of hostility between the two powers. Uh, they yeah. should be able to at least have minimal civilian access to the ship, which I would assume does not mean being able to walk into Cargo Bay 1. Right. Like, whatever, wherever Alexander Roshenko can go, that's where these Ferengis should be allowed. I guess I just feel like every time they've run into the Ferengi, there have been, uh, you know, minimally... Um, something shifty that they've done, but maximally they've done something incredibly aggressive. So I don't know. It seems yeah, but in this case, you would... know, they rescued the shuttle that was in distress, and uh, for some reason, Worf doesn't cite any problems here. The one yeah, time it's true. Picard that... could have listened to him. He doesn't say anything of note. 
Yeah, that would have been Quite a real... Quite acceptable. It's not what we're used to, you understand. Uh, but it will do. Uh, perhaps your captain would care to invite us to join him for dinner this evening. The captain dines alone. A pity. That was too easy. They do not hold back when they're playing Ferengi. Oh my god. People playing Ferengi, it is it is chew the scenery time. <laughs> and they have so many sharp teeth that you might as well. Um now is either of those guys one of the guys is either the guy who ends up in Voyager? Not Voyager in D- DS9? Uh yes, as uh Rom. Gotcha. Uh Quark's brother. We've been working from your drawings, Ambassador. I hope we're in the ballpark. Ballpark? That's an old human expression. Miss LaForge hopes that we got close to achieving what you want. <laughs> oh, well, okay. All right. Seems, seems odd to slow everything down for that interaction. Uh, you know, it feels like a Michael Pillar edition because of his genuine love of baseball. But wouldn't it wouldn't uh, I, uh, here's a question and I understand if we go back to uh, um, um, I don't remember the one with the Tanagra what's that one called uh, Darmok Darmok yeah uh, if we go back to Darmok they spoke in metaphor so they obviously didn't understand but it seems like the universal translator must figure out oh he means this in terms of context and is able to figure it out in the human language and, and languages that we know better so it seems like it wouldn't have it wouldn't have translated a literal translation of ballpark. Wait, what? Oh, that the I'm universal saying, translator wouldn't be able to do that? No, that the universal translator would have said, I hope we got close to hit to him. Oh <laughs> wouldn't say the actual colloquial phrase. Exactly. I see. I see. Uh, I imagine that this is a studied uh, and learned ambassador who has chosen to learn and speak English. I see. So uh, he's actually speaking English. And Interesting. I, I, and I also believe that of uh, Famke Janssen's character. Sure. That's a oh, good job. Play the Matt fixed it. Uh, I, there we go. It didn't make sense, but Matt fixed it. Andy, you just grabbed that, fixed it out of the sky. Andy, Andy was <laughs> just swatting at a bug. I couldn't wait. <laughs> it was sw- like a kiss I was grabbing. Swatting at a bug, but really felt like he was giving me some props. <laughs> I'm trying to make a bread. And, uh, I think that that starter is attracting some, some stuff. <laughs> Astonishing. I do got to say, it's a great the ancient set. ancient temple of Akadar. Yes, but I don't. You don't realize how low that ceiling is until the other guy's standing up there, and then you're like, "Is he a giant?" Oh no, no, no! He's just up on that platform with that low ceiling because <laughs> he looks like a giant. Uh, yeah, uh, I wonder. I wonder if this was a set that was standing for something else, and that's why because they don't usually put this much detail into the sets and depth. Well, if you think about it, this is the only thing they have to build. Yeah, that's true. That's valid. Nothing else in this yeah. episode is new. Yeah. 
Well, if you know, if anybody knows, if this was used for something else, please let us know. Temple and bombs, Creos and Vault, gentlemen. Two brothers ruled a vast empire from this site until they were torn apart by their love for an extraordinary woman. This is where the wars began. And this is where they shall end. The Ferengis are snooping about. <laughs> really, no, I wish, like, I would have even liked a, 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 a some sort of device in his hand to show that he had to break into the, you know what I mean? Oh, that's smart, yeah. Like, just the idea that he... He clearly, he has a device, so... Right. I just, why, I don't know. It's just so weird to me that... Uh, that it wasn't locked. <laughs> that it wasn't locked and that it wasn't off limits, that there wasn't a security guard posted out front. Just really feels like a big old funky mishap. I feel, I feel like the Federation is like a beach community where it's like, we're all friends. We, we can leave our doors open. Who cares? <laughs> the Enterprise is Club Med in space, as they've always said. <laughs> um, and just like the precarious way in which he's balancing everything to take these readings or whatever. I don't... Yeah. It just don't i don't know chance to see the dolphins yet this is did you hear that Andy? that yeah i did did you have a chance to see the dolphins yet oh now is that the only time it's mentioned i love that that they throw it in as an offhand thing um i don't cetacean ops i don't i feel like it's mentioned i don't i don't know prime correct me who cares Dude, if they ever built, if they ever really built a full crazy Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Trek theme park, um, they should definitely have a cetacean ops that you can go see. <laughs> Wait, so you want to actually put dress dolphins in Star Trek uniforms? <laughs> you don't have to put them in uniforms. I'm just saying some kind of thing where you have like dolphins swimming free, enjoying themselves, but in like a tech uh, kind of. Uh, um, you know, environment. Are <laughs> they blinking lights and such? Andy's request for dolphins has been submitted to theme park management. <laughs> I like what you've done here, but uh, where are the dolphins? <laughs> Come on, you don't want to see dolphins? Uh, I don't want to see dolphins at a Star Trek theme park. No. Ugh, if it's like is... a land, I don't know. It just feels like for me, it just this, feels this like is about such to turn into one <laughs> extra hassle to build. <laughs> And then you have to hire people to take care of the dolphins. I think it's indicative of, of how arguing an episode it's going to be that you and I are fighting over whether you should have dolphins in the Star Hi, Trek sir. theme park. Andy, you know as well as I do that I think that dolphins are uh, beautiful, smart creatures that belong in captivity on board starships only. Look, if you're going to have an aquarium anyway, dolphins are going to be there, so but you might as well put them in a cool Star Trek environment. What makes you think you're having an aquarium anyway? I'll well, their what. aquariums if exist. Built, it's not like they don't exist. If they built this Star Trek land at SeaWorld, I'm 100% uh-huh. on board. Because they already have the infrastructure. I'm just uh, arguing you know what? practicality. I want this theme park built, Andy. I don't want anyone saying no, <laughs> you we're think not the cetacean, it. the cetacean ops are going to be the thing that's going to hold it up. <laughs> I mean, they feel like it's a huge added cost to bring in these dolphins. And then what I do really... they do? <laughs> do you walk through? They a swim tube? around. <laughs> they 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 train them to poke their 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 uh, their what are they beaks into uh, 
into the into into buttons and shit. <laughs> they have they have they have uh, uh, L cars displays on the walls of the of the tank. Andy, I think you just need to go to SeaWorld. <laughs> they don't have the sci-fi stuff at SeaWorld. Those are just regular stupid dolphins. Security to Cargo Bay One. Uh, Lieutenant, one of the Ferengi. Regular Captain Picard. He hates them. <laughs> also, what is he enjoying so much when he's scanning? I think he's thinking of uh, all of the money he'll make. Does he, do they know what's in there? Yes. They do, okay. I believe. And as a result, they want it real bad and are going to sell it to the highest bidder. Yeah. Until his uh, precarious thing trips. It's so silly, because, like, whatever device he has, why would he need to be three feet higher to scan it? Yeah. <laughs> it's like... It's such a... A lot of the things the Frankies do in this episode are... I feel like their initial plan is very brave for Frankie of basically putting themselves in mortal danger assuming that the Federation is nah. going to save them and beam them on the ship. They probably only but, only put the ship in real danger when they know there's a transporter lock on them. But isn't the transporter lock exist before that? Or they put it in before they... I think they yeah, can control know, the when their ship blows up. That's smart. But that still, it seemed like it was a uh, nick of time. Whatever the case, I, I buy that... that uh, that plan but everything else they do in the episode is just like how did you guys become so such a force in the galaxy that your every plan is so bad they're such buffoons yeah in 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 tng era may i ask having seen ds9 do you think they should have made them more they might become more formidable in ds9 but do you think they should have made them more formidable handles ferengi perfectly and is the Ferengi canon. I see. They refine them there. Yes. Much, okay. much, much, much more. And do they become more dangerous, or are they always buffoons? Dangerous. Uh, or more, main or more characters. Like smart. Quark is a main character on the show. And then Rom, of course. Uh, and then Nog, his son, joins Starfleet. Uh-huh. I don't know what's a spoiler and what's not. But... <laughs> The Ferengi really, are not, really, I really, not written like they are in TNG. I really uh, hit you where it hurt on the spoiler argument, didn't I? Oh, I just think it's such a silly spoiler. <laughs> really, I think it's really a non-spoiler. Got, really got out of sorts because you know we just watched, we just watched, fucking. The, I don't. Picard. The reason I don't want to. I don't want to prolong and this because then you're going to start in it. You're going to start listening, listing all the reasons and the things that add to information. And I try to screen it out. Sure. Yeah, but you were even though I accept that, yes, there are spoilers anyway. that were inherent in things. I understand. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings on this. You didn't hurt my. It's feelings. very minor. You're just being such a reverse Andy right now. How is it, how am I being a reverse Andy? Like, you should accept that it's not a spoiler, because uh-huh. ultimately, 
not only were you going to order the book and see the cover of the book. Oh my goodness. But it spoils I nothing. Don't know. How does that happen? Is, how is that being reverse Andy? That doesn't even I don't even understand what you're saying. I get you have spoiled things for me <laughs> I and I, I give don't know you what's going on slack. today. I'm I, I'm I'm not fully engaged in this. <laughs> yes. I spoiled things for you? You have spoiled things for me. I yes, I spoiled one Avengers thing. Yes, you spoiled <laughs> Endgame. <laughs> Yes, which I, I, d- I wouldn't say that I spoiled Endgame. Right, I spoiled no, I'm a saying, one tiny aspect of Endgame. As I think that cover of that book is, I would say, not, even more minimal than that. I'm not. I'm not saying you blew it and therefore you're a terrible person. I'm saying don't do anymore, and you're disputing that there. That, I thought you were basically saying it's okay. I can say this to everyone else. Because it's obvious because of the things they would have seen before. And I'm saying, just don't go further with it. Let it lie. Well, I'm, I'm not. Uh, but you're arguing that they don't want that spoiled. And I'm arguing that they have seen it or at least know about it and do not care. Yes, we disagree. Yes. Or even if we don't disagree, even if it's 10 people, if why ruin it for them? This, and you don't know I don't I just can't imagine it they're so intertwined whatever they're so intertwined I don't know how you can imagine whatever I just don't understand why we're talking about this this long I just can't even deal with it well probably because I hate this episode and it's not interesting to me and I don't know what to say about it we haven't even gotten into it yet take control of the you are now in full control of the clips that are playing and played because you like this episode a lot more than I do so go all right, this will be an interesting challenge for me. I never do this. Um, how do you... Uh... All right, so that's when she... She spots Picard. Thank I you, Jansen. First of all, thank you, Jansen. Oh, just never looked more beautiful. Um, except unless you like her better in uh, what was it? what was she in Bond? Xenia on a top. Xenia on a top. She was a henchman for. Uh, sure, she was a great henchman too. Don't want to spoil anything on uh, oh, on Golden Christ. Eye, but uh, oh my goodness gracious, she was a bad guy. Everyone. <laughs> happening did you have a bad day before this started or did this your bad day start now (laughs) Uh, my bad day started when the echo started for the first 20 minutes of the show and i didn't notice and i got real mad at myself well matt let's try and have a good time we're watching the perfect mate one of the greatest (laughs) star trek episodes (laughs) Um, (laughs) that's the funniest statement you've ever said (laughs) <laughs> we got uh, Dr. Hewer in here. I was happy to see him. Um, Who's this? Dr. Hewer from Buck Rogers. Oh, well, that's a claim to fame if I ever heard one. I, I mean, to me, it's almost way, so big I, that I, I wouldn't. Secunders claim to fame. I know him from something big. There you go. That's a Buck Rogers sighting. 
Uh, yeah, I feel like uh, whenever you, we've had previous Buck Rogers people, you've 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 had a claim to fame. That seems fair. Do you? Um, did you never watch Buck Rogers? Nope. Wow, I almost kind of want. <laughs> I want to do that for the Patreon. You just that's I'm your way. Pretty of sure you will hate you that. Desperately want to rewatch it yourself. And what I'm saying yes. is, do it, Andy. Watch I have it. too many Star Trek. Turn it to on watch. tonight. Why do you? Why do you always uh, come at me about it? Like, let's just watch some things. Why can't you just get on board? <laughs> You'll enjoy Battlestar Galactica. I You'll enjoy Buck Rogers. Don't want. You'll to definitely watch enjoy the Orville as a job. I want to watch things that I want to watch out of enjoyment. Right. I don't want to watch things because I have to. Yes, but really the subtext is you don't want to watch things that I want to watch. Well, I mean, the subtext is I there's not a lot of stuff I'd like to watch anyway. My wife goes through the same thing with me, but I just, you know, worse, I don't want to be worse. forced to watch things because then it will color it. So this is definitely our worst episode. There's no question. <laughs> well, you don't know how much no, I've cut out. This is not Ulrich. This is Captain Jean-Luc Picard the Federation Starship Enterprise. That explains why you don't look at all like your holographs. I apologize, Captain. As an empath, I could sense your authority. I assumed you were Chancellor Ulrich. I'm afraid that I require an explanation, Ambassador. As do I, Ambassador. Why have I been brought out of stasis prematurely? It was an accident. This is quite complicated. Perhaps you and I... It is not complicated at all, Brian. And the Captain has no tolerance for prevarication. I'm a gift to Ulrich of Vault. You mean you are using this ship to transport a sentient being as property? Not as property, as a gift. And I was concerned that you might not entirely understand. Your concern was well justified, Ambassador. You're angry. Why? There is a provision in the Federation Constitution that protects an individual's fundamental rights. Now, once you came aboard this ship... You're coming to my rescue. What a kind and generous purpose. So, how do you feel... How do you feel they uh, lots, they handle this? Lots to point huh? out there. Riker is okay. ping-pong in his eyeballs like it's nobody's business. Back and forth, <laughs> back and forth. The humming, a humming, a humming, a big eye look on him like a fucking Tex Avery cartoon is ridiculous. Yeah. It's so silly. This woman comes out of stasis. This scene is uh, bizarre. I mean, there's so many bizarre scenes in this to me. Why do you think it's bizarre? Because it starts with the Ferengi on a precariously piled cargo bay situation. Yeah, the Ferengi are absurd in this That's episode. That's ridiculous. That I, will agree but I count with. this as the same scene, even though it's probably not in the script breakdown. It's probably a new scene. Uh... But well, it was an act break. I think that I think it's ridiculous. This whole thing is ridiculous to me. I think Vomka Johnson Janssen, sorry, is great. She's doing a great job. It's funny that they have trill makeup before trills came along. Yeah, I had to look that up. I didn't. It's funny, you know. Obviously, you know, but that they they. Put it on the character from DS9, on uh, the actress, and they were like, they put ridges like they had the previous trill on Star Trek had, and yeah. they were like, nah, it doesn't look good. Make her look like the other one that looked good. It looked like Famke Jansen. Which and is that's funny, the reason she's that, not even the same race. 
I know. Um, so weird. But that's why know. I was asking last week was she a trill? No, humans. Uh, humans look a lot like uh, you know every you know every other planet we visit has people that look exactly like humans. So sure, I'll assume there's some trill uh, like trills out there. So what else besides the the Ferengi is uh, is absurd to you in this? The scene? the humana humana of it all. Gotcha. Okay. And the the ping ponging of Frakes in the background. All right. Well, let's see Frakes uh, interacting further with uh, with uh, Famke Jensen. Sorry, new to the in life. New to the con. It can be an. How can we keep get this quarters. beginning of the scene? Kamala, remain in your room. I will speak with you shortly. Well, that's not cool. Why were you in stasis? Metamorphs have a long and complex sexual maturing process. I'm in the thinnest role, third and final stage. It can be an uncomfortable transition, not only for me, but for the men around me. In what way? My body is producing an unusually elevated level of what you would call pheromones. The effect can be quite provocative. Perhaps you sense it. Ah, unfortunately, I'm not an empath. Oh, I think you're more empathic than you admit. At least when it comes to women. I think you have me at a disadvantage. Would have been a great episode for Troy to be in. Yeah! I guess they didn't want to double up with the empath stuff, but it really would have been interesting. This is the comm panel, the replicator. You can lower the lights on a verbal command. If you have any questions, you can just ask the computer. Frakes goes full open mouth into this. I, I thought that was hilarious. There was no hesitation. <laughs> I'm beginning to sense the elevated pheromones you were referring to. You were curious, weren't you? Curious isn't exactly how I'd describe it. You know what's remarkable about empathic metamorphs? You mean there's something even more remarkable about you? We learn so quickly what stimulates a man. But the second time's even better than the first. <laughs> I'm kind of impressed with Freaks' level of restraint, or with uh, Riker's level of restraint. He literally pulls his hands up and then... Fights his fights himself to bring this them down. This has been down. very educational, <laughs> but I make it a policy never to open another man's gift. I know my role in history, Commander. It's going to be a long voyage. It certainly is. We'll try to make you as comfortable as possible. Is this when he goes to jerk off. Yep. Riker to bridge. If you need me, I'll be in holodeck four. <laughs> so, to me, that is one of the greatest legit Star Trek jokes. Like, almost all the comedy on these shows, like, I would say 40% of it doesn't come off kind of hacky and, and a little bit off kilter in, in, in Star Trek Next Generation. And I feel like that is a legit joke. It is played subtle. And, uh, and it plays off the world in a totally organic way. 
I agree. And it's with, really what well, I agree yeah. with you that it's a legit joke, and it's like very rare for us to get an in-world, in-universe punchline joke. Yeah, like I'll be on holodeck four. Ha ha ha! We all know what's happening, but there's no subtlety in it. <laughs> no. Well, none. Uh, the subtle, the subtle, based on how how what a what, with what hammer hands they usually do the comedy on the show, I would say it's pretty subtle. I mean, obviously it's not subtle because we know he's gonna go what he's gonna go do, but he's gonna uh, pull up minuet. Yeah, well, I, I, I assumed that he was just going to make a hologram of this lady. Oh, that's inappropriate. Haven't we learned anything from Barkley? <laughs> yeah, maybe he'll just pull up Minuet. Maybe you're right. <laughs> um, but uh, the other thing is, I, I always thought the face group is always making jokes about uh, Riker jerking off in the, in, the, in the holodeck. And I always thought it was, I always thought it was like just sort of people... Um, uh, inferring it I didn't realize it was part of canon <laughs> uh, I'll be honest with you I completely forgot this happened in this episode and that this was ever yeah. even said and I was like a little dumbfounded by it yeah I was like right, this is watch. a little on the nose guys that he goes to the holodeck yeah Oh, see, it'd be I like if, it was... like it'd be like if a if a if a steward was walking by with a with a with a pile of linen and he decided he's like I'll take that and carried it to hide his boner. It's like that, not subtle. Oh, I really think you're just looking for things to hate about it. I think that it's he didn't say I'm I'm gonna go jerk off in the holodeck. You just had a scene where he you know due due to his duty he resisted the full on advances of this this uh, incredible woman and uh, and then he's gonna go to the holodeck ignoring his duty. <laughs> what do you mean ignoring his he's duty? He's not go ign- back up to the bridge. Don't just tell the bridge you're going to holodeck four. You're on a bridge shift. I assume that there is some protocol reason why he is allowed to do it. I think it is implied in it. You're just making trouble. I'm just, I'm just, I don't like this episode, which I said at the very start of this. Uh, I understand, but I think you're looking for reasons to hate it now. No, these are all the reasons. We have this scene with. The treaty with the seductive coup de gras. All right, fine, good. Let's throw the prime directive to the winds. Let's detain her here against her will. Let's destroy any chance of peace between these worlds. Let's interfere in their society, their customs. That slave trader who calls himself an ambassador, he has her confined to her quarters. She is a virtual prisoner in there. I didn't know that. Well, it is your ship. Maybe there are a few things you should find out about. She's really given in the business. Also, By the way, I was he re- totally knew that because the ambassador says it in front of Picard. Oh yeah, that's a really valid point. Um, he's also really, really attacking that croissant. It's an aggressive hazelnut spread. I feel like it was a marmalade. It looked like a marmalade to me. <laughs> Whatever it is, you can audibly hear it. He's going to town on that. It's nice when Picard has uh, props to play with. When Patrick Stewart can play with props. Yeah. It's always difficult with a food scene because, uh, you know, then they have to keep eating it. But it looked like a delightful croissant. This is who I am, Captain. You might as well ask a Vulcan to forgo logic. Hang on. Or a Klingon to be nonviolent. You want to go back? I would like to ask uh, Nacho for another jingle. Matt has asked for yet another jingle. <laughs> and 
I'm playing the whole thing because that's what Nacho asked me to do. If we add more music to this podcast, there will be no space in it to talk. And I would like it to be essentially Andy needs a girlfriend, but instead of girlfriend, sandwich. Andy needs a girlfriend. <laughs> so when he talks about food in that same way, I will play that clip. That will, that, that will be my sound clip. Sure. You're going to play that one a lot. <laughs> Maybe more than girlfriend. <laughs> um, and then if I talk about uh, a beautiful lady that is eating on the show, oh, then you well, need, it, and he needs a beautiful girlfriend and sandwich. Followed and he by needs a girlfriend alert. and a sandwich. I mean, it just, you know, too many sounds. Um, all right, here we go. I cannot change. And I don't want to until the time has come for me to bond with my permanent mate. Why does it bother you? Frankly, it's difficult for me, for many of us, to easily accept that a sentient being can live only to be what someone else wants them to be. But that's what gives a metamorph pleasure. But what about your wishes, your needs? They are fulfilled by what I give to others. But what about when there are no others, when you're alone? I'm incomplete. What curious questions, Captain. Well, under the circumstances, I thought that it would help if I, if I learned more about you. But you know me better than you realize. I am independent, forceful, brilliant, and adventurous. Exactly as you would have me be, Captain. So, uh, I, I guess this is another reason I like this episode. Um, and, you know, obviously I'm a man, so I, I may not have the, uh, the, the right slant on it. But I guess my take is... They're presenting it not as uh, this this thing of that she's that she's uh, genetically predisposed to please her mate um, in what could be considered misogynistic kind of patriarchal perspective, but he's addressing it and he's engaging with her on it. And then you also get into prime directive issues of like, is it his place to tell her when she is choosing to do this that that's not the right way to live your life? I think it's really interesting and somewhat evolved way to approach what is, you know, a, a, a pretty extreme uh, characterization for an alien race. Well, I mean, it's not also devil's advocate here. It's not a race that is full of these metamorph people. They're born once every seven generations. Uh, right. And it's such a unique thing. Um, Interestingly, the the male metamorphs are are prevalent on that planet. It's a good deal for the ladies. Well, I mean that that seems. Uh, yeah, that, I mean, not that they would ever really dive too deep into that, but that would be also interesting. I wish, I wish they didn't know what the upcoming ambassador preferred um, and brought a male and female metamorph with them for to for the 
ambassador to choose so that you had a male running around the ship like this also so that you could really crack open the the sort of ethics of it and the interesting thing about like becoming uh, not yourself but only what somebody else wants I think that's sort of the thing that this is about to me seems to be about is she her own person or is she only who the other person needs her to be? And is that in and of itself fulfilling to her? Well, I think he's sort of asking that question yeah. in this scene and but she's saying it is. This is about, at least right. to me, that's what it's about. And I would have really liked to have seen the other side of it too. So I, I kind of wish that it was, you know, two sided three-sided i mean like i wish they didn't know as much about the ambassador as they seem to have known with holographs Uh etc i would have loved it if like there was a man a female and uh, you know a gay man just in case i mean i hear i hear what you're saying in terms of exploring it that would have been different levels but i i think to argue on the side of the way it is presented i think it's the episode is to some degree about objectification and um and 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 in particular i think because it's it's what's most prevalent in society men imposing their their uh, desires onto uh women and women sort of having to live up to it i don't know that it's presented in as condemning a way as it should be possibly but or, I think it is addressed. So, and I think to have it be uh, a man and you know other, you know, have something other than the patriarchal matriarchal breakdown, I think might have undermined it a little bit. Well, it's also like because I think where it lands in the end is with her, and I think I would like to believe the thing that Larry Nemechek says that it's that it's uh, her um, choosing to bond with him and not it just being an internal sort of intuitive decision Who's the that uh, with Picard uh-huh. instead of the other guy that uh, in some ways she's flouting the genetic programming and she's choosing for herself who she's going to bond with. Well, isn't so she's she listened to him not she's, like, isn't it sort of like this, like, lost love situation here where she says, I'm totally going to, I'm, I'm, I've fallen in love with you, but I'm bonded with you. However, I'm going to go do my duty. That's sort of where it ends, right? Yes. Um, you know, which is heartbreaking in a way, but also I still, I don't understand what it's saying. Well, I mean, I guess. I mean, they both, and like you know, then you could get chicken or egg about it too, where it's like her sense of duty to do that. Does that come from her bonding with Picard? Because he has an innate sense of duty, and well, you know, that's what I he wants that, in a woman. Like if we're he, jumping ahead, but I think what he's what what that conversation is is that he's saying at the end don't do this and I think knowing Picard the way we do we can assume it's not out of selfishness uh, consciously even if it is subconsciously because he's in love with her that he's doing it because he knows 
that the guy that she's supposed to be with will not be someone who is up to her level of worth as a person. Um, and <laughs> I, I watched it and I thought it was, oh, he's not going to appreciate her the way I would. I think <laughs> that's what it I, is. That's what it felt like. I think it is a little bit mixed in. I think it's complicated for him. I think he's he's both he's both acting off of emotion because he's in love with her, but I think consciously, us knowing Picard, he's doing it because he's like, this is not going to be good for her. This is a bad situation. That guy can't appreciate her. And I agree with you that Benita is, I can't appreciate her the way that I can appreciate her. But I also think... Uh, it's complicated because if she's a true metamorph, then it doesn't matter how he appreciates her. Only that he does appreciate her and that Correct. she can make him happy, Correct. even if it's with yeah. superficial things like money. Yeah, if um, she is. So he's, it's kind of a false perspective. But in any event, I think what we're supposed to take from that scene is that she is truly staying bonded to him by doing the thing that he would do if it was her, which is stay committed to duty over his personal interests. Right, which begs the question, is her sense of duty from her bonding to Picard? Um, I mean, if you want to take the cynical perspective, yes, it is. Uh, if you want to take uh, the perspective of, of giving her more credit, then it's that she has chosen to bond with that particular perspective because she values it more and sees the value of it. You know, when I w- the way I remembered this episode, I thought it was whoever the first male she laid eyes on, she would be bonded to. I don't know where the fuck that came from, but that's how I remember. No, I think that I think they say that, and I think that it's it's sort of supposed to be like when she comes out of the cocoon, but it does seem like she has more more power over it than she does or does she? she's in well the the because that was my memory of this episode this was the only episode <laughs> besides some pro episodes play your play your uh your jingle for this um that i've really seen deep into the into the show and um uh and i so my memory was the same as yours but it seems like and frankly this is another thing i like about the episode that she has uh independence and um her own choice about who she's going to interact with and who she's going to sort of work her magic on um and so i like that in this episode as i watched it again she seems to uh what's the word have her own um the, the word is failing me but uh choice and is Basically, and even kind of isn't flouting her duty, as she says to Riker. She's like, yeah, I know that this is where I'm going to end up. I am not yet bonded to him. I'm my own person. And I'm going to flirt with a bunch of people on this ship because it gives me pleasure. So, fuck you. (laughs) I kind of enjoy that aspect. And I feel like, and I, you know, it's always dicey with the, with the, um, the, the, behind the scenes uh, on TNG at this time, but I feel like, unless I'm misinterpreting it, that's a pretty enlightened perspective uh, Which on perspective? gender. Huh? Which perspective? The perspective that she shouldn't be considered um, 
you know, immoral because she wants to flirt with a bunch of people because it gives her pleasure. She's not committed to anybody and she can do whatever she wants. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's how it's presented. And I feel like the men on board, including Picard, are more of the ones that are flummoxed by it. And there's a Which there's the, I would have liked to have seen the ladies flummoxed also. Well, I think it would have you been see interesting that interesting if she was born as a twin and she had a twin brother and they brought both. Uh-huh. I think you see that in um, let's watch uh, her work her magic with the. Uh, but I think you see that in the Beverly scenes. I think it's it's that's where why Beverly is outraged. But then I think even Beverly when it's sort of made clear that she has her own choice. Beverly doesn't, I mean, we don't really see it as much, but it doesn't seem like she has an issue with the flirtation. And frankly, I wonder if the reason they didn't have Deanna on there is because Deanna would have been like, yeah, I don't see what the problem is. I don't see what everybody's freaking out about. Although that would have been nice to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let's watch her drive everybody crazy in the in uh, 10 forward. Excuse me. I believe Sorry. Excuse me, but I'm absolutely certain that we met once at Polaris Colony. I've never been to Polaris Colony. Neither have I. <laughs> Why don't we find out what else we have in common? Extremely rude behavior. He's <laughs> just being playful. Perhaps you would care for something to drink. What are you all having, boys? Eldorian ales, aren't you? And it's mine, too. Yeah. yeah. Bartender. I believe they're having a minor problem with the replicator. Uh, they could use a hand, Commander. Excuse me. <laughs> I believe I will stay. Mr. Data's protecting me tonight. Oh, protecting you from what? From you, I guess. I told the captain not to worry. I just want to have a good time like anybody else. Come on down to deck seven. We'll show you a good time. Get rid of the android once. Is there a problem here? No, sir. No, no problem. Thank you, Lieutenant. The crowd seemed a bit too ebullient for comfort. Perhaps you would enjoy a nice, quiet visit to the Arboretum. And then she growls at Worf. And I love the take of him being totally into it. And then catching himself. Again, uh, a masterful comedic performance by Michael Dorn. Replicator joke is a better joke than the, the holodeck joke in this episode. I think it's very funny to pretend, like, to say to Data... Oh, I think they're having a problem with the replicator. They could probably use your help, Commander, as a way to get rid of him and then a nice double take by Pat- Brent Spiner to come back to it. I I think that's a better... It's less, See, it's less hitting you over the head with it, and it's very in-world, much like that holodeck joke was. See, I will disagree with that because I think that the uh, this replicator joke uh, is inorganic. He would know what his duties were and whether he was needed somewhere else on the ship, and he certainly wouldn't listen to some miners that are visiting telling him it. You don't think Data, if asked by anybody to to help someone with a broken system on the ship, would do it? I think he knows the protocol. He knows where the order would come from. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, whatever the case, I love this Michael Dorn thing. Uh, 
And uh, there was one. We don't really need to see it, but I love the moment. There's a weird moment where Dr. Hewer is, like, it begins the scene. I'll just play it. Sorry, guys. First day at the controls. And await the arrival of Chancellor Ulrich. I, I forbid it. Forbid it. It's too dangerous, Captain. She must remain in her quarters. So I just love that. I love that he, they begin the scene with him playing the weird thing, as though, as though Picard just had a long thing saying, "Hey, you should. You really got it. No, I don't." And then he's like, ah, "I, I, I must practice my xylophone first, and then he continued the conversation." It's Much so like hilarious. all ambassadors on his planet. The only yeah. way he can think through a problem is to play the xylophone. <laughs> is that what it was? Yeah. <laughs> He's just really mulling it over. Um, and I, uh, I love that at the end he goes, I have just the man. And he's almost like dropped the mic when he leaves the room. And it's Data, of course. <laughs> I forgot who it was going to be. And I also laughed at that. Yeah, there you go. That's a great... I mean, you know, just because it's... Uh, just because they're also good jokes doesn't mean the other one's not a good joke. I just, I don't love uh, filthy humor. <laughs> I don't love, honestly, I don't love filthy humor either. And I feel like that's why I like that joke because it's a little subtler. He's, he's just, he, first of all, he's, he's frustrated. He's, a, he's sort of like, all right, I did my duty, but I, this is really the worst. <laughs> so I kind of like that attitude. I think you should get uh, back to the bridge. I understand. You're a stickler. Look, I just like uh, everyone to perform their duty. Maybe I'm Picard's perfect mate. Yeah. I love duty. You're adventurous. I love You're forthright. <laughs> and I, I understand duty. <laughs> I wish he'd fall oh, in love crew, with me. Kamala, but there are guests and civilians on board. I understand. I will volunteer to stay in my quarters on the one condition. That you will visit me. There it is again. What? The wall you put between us. Kamala, you are one day away from an arranged mating. Why would you want me to visit you in your quarters? I said a visit. I didn't ask you to make love to me. Oh, Damn snap. empaths. Always reading his mind. Yeah. It's also uh, a great space dress, side note. <laughs> I think most of the space <laughs> dresses are really symbol. dumb. <laughs> Early Lapiongical period, isn't it? So then she goes into Shoot. all the... Uh... Have you seen the Ventanan woven art recovered from the fourth colony dig? Andy, there you I'm go. Pathic you can pause it and say your things. Yeah. Not quite that much. Mr. Data helped a little. I see. <laughs> you skipped back to all the Ventaxian stuff. Did you want it? No, I mean, it's like a little like nod. They've mentioned the Ventaxians before. <laughs> I like the go. reference. <laughs> it was good canon. This is where we go. <laughs> I knew it was, it was almost immediate. You were going to start getting frustrated with the way that I was doing it. Well, you're just playing the long, long, long. Then take and, control and you, of it. I don't you care. Also should I've say long that. ago adjusted you to the fact should. that I, if I stop and I do my things, you're going to get frustrated and befuddled. No, no, so I should, leave it alone and I let you, you should, do it. You should feel free to pause it and say your things. 
you know what, Matt? You know what this has taught me? You and I are not the perfect mates. This is what this episode has taught me. <laughs> I just, I, I think you are doing a very good job. But I think you have things to say in the middle of clips, but you're letting them all, you're letting it all play, and then you're saying them. I, I know, so I jumped ahead, but you didn't like what I was jumping. Well, I would have liked you to play. Well, then, let them play it. But it was the first time you didn't play the, all the way through. I know, because <laughs> I I'm bored by to. all that stuff. <laughs> I, I didn't realize that it was, it was pertinent. <laughs> I thought you were going to play it all. All right, here it is. Here's the... the well, the I, just, I just wanted to mention stuff. that the planet, the, the, the uh, it isn't it? comes from the Ventaxi. Uh, uh, Have you seen the Ventanan woven art recovered from the fourth colony dig? Woven art? Recovered intact? They say the colors are remarkably vibrant for their age. But I read about it. Also, them. she's playing him like a fiddle. I know. She's That's like, what's I didn't say impressive. With me, but here's more reasons you'd want to. I love archaeology. Sure. And Shakespeare. <laughs> because she also knows that Picard wouldn't want, you know, uh, 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 you know, she, she, she needs, uh, Picard needs a little bit of uh, subtlety in his, in his courtship. What if she had, like, laid her eyes on, like, Chief O'Brien. Like, I, w- I wish it was, like... I weirdly wish it was, like, another character, even. Yeah. I but, guess it's... You know, it's... There's some very interesting Picard characterizations that come out in this episode, and I appreciate that aspect. I think that's sure. the thing that I I find in- interesting, and I feel like this is... This, to me, is the most realistic uh, of the Picard romantic interactions we've seen. The other ones are sort of trying to be cute, and this one is like it, it. She's portraying a woman that it makes sense why Picard would like her. Now, obviously, it's because she's adjusting to what he wants. But I think it really reveals so many interesting things about the Picard character and what he would be looking for um, in a woman. You know, I don't know. I, I just find it really fascinating. I wonder if that ambassador uh, or leader of the other planet, her mate. I wonder if he's still alive because we could just bring Famke Johnson in to season two of Picard but anyway um, I wonder if she'd still be around to yeah, hang out that with would, uh, season two. I mean I would nothing I am I am honestly and I think this is probably uh, the main re- the main reason for the distinction I'm heartbroken at the end of this episode <laughs> I am so sad that Picard can't that they can't end up together and they both want each other and it's so beautiful to me and that they're right for each other and uh, and so I, there was nothing that would make me happier than he finally ends up with her at the end of, uh, of Picard <laughs> well season two hopefully Andy they, they take it up and uh, they do it just what so a weird great. episode for them to be like, okay, let's go back to this well. Oh, I feel like they've gone back to weird wells already. Yeah. Um, but, uh, okay, I'm going to continue the archaeological conversation. Oh, no, we're done. We're past it. All I wanted, I said what I Well, say. the main thing I was trying to, to get to. To the dark woman of raven brows and mournful eyes. Shakespeare's sonnets. Or to the gardens of Les Eries, near the village where you grew up. Your empathic powers told you all this about me. Not quite that much. Mr. Data helped a little. Oh, so she admits it. She's honest. My empathic powers can only sense a 
man of deep passion and conviction. So controlled, so disciplined. I'm simply curious to know what lies beneath. Nothing. Nothing lies beneath. <laughs> I'm... I'm really quite dull. I fall asleep each night with an old book in my hands. Sometimes in a weird position. One foot splayed out on the couch over there. When a metamorph finds you interesting, do not take it lightly. Oh, I'm not taking it lightly. I'm just trying to be as dull as possible. <laughs> this is great. Will you visit me? It will be inappropriate. Is that a yes or a no? I'm sorry. Even the walls of Jericho fell, Captain. <laughs> Are you doing this, Kamala? can be only one reason because some part of you wants me to I love that you how can you not love that she he is basically accusing her of of basically manipulating him and doing trying to do this thing and she's right she's she's doing it because he wants her to do it and I love that that's revealed in a way that he doesn't even have to play it because we know from the sci-fi conceit that it's true I think it's really smart writing. <laughs> I don't I don't know. I don't think that he wants her to do it. You think that she's lying? No. I, I mean this may be the reason you don't you don't li- you don't like this episode. You don't buy into the conceit it. that they're saying, huh? I think she's misinterpreting his I mean, look, I I I ultimately I understand that Picard is attracted to her, but it also is clear to me that Picard puts his duty to the mission above all, always has. Um, yeah. And if you buy that that ultimately is Picard's character, then you must also buy that ultimately he does not want this. Well, wouldn't he want this even though he was committed to his duty, to the first duty? Um <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, because she is basically becoming someone who fits perfectly in that life. She would be adventurous. She would be forthright. She would be committed to duty the same way that he would. So she would fit perfectly in the in the shape of Picard's life in a way that none or few other women have. Well, I mean, again, it's it's all very chicken egg to me, you know. What do you mean? What's coming first here? His feelings, her feelings, her manipulation, his his want and desire. Is she becoming well, this way, you know, because, like, what is the true her, I guess, is my the, uh, Yes, I agree with that. That That is the one rub of the whole thing, is that she is adjusting to him, theoretically, and therefore, is it really her? Isn't she just going to change with the next person except to me that distinction happens that's why the last scene is so heartbreaking when she basically says I'm marrying him and this is the person I'm supposed to 
be with the rest of my life and adjust to the rest of my life and I'm choosing not to do it I'm choosing to stay bonded to you so that's where it it surpasses now you could also argue well she's doing that because that is also what he would want right um, so you get into a hazy sort of area like, that's the but honestly of it to me I hear you on that, and that is complicated. But honestly, to me, that is almost another level of complexity that I think is interesting, which is even if you're with someone, you don't ever fully know them 100%. You don't know 100% of what goes on inside them and what the, how what their reactions are or if they have other you know romantic fantasies or what the... Like, human relationships are complicated. And so, to me, it kind of is a good portrayal of that too. Um, but then, go on don't you think that it would be ultimately <laughs> unfulfilling for her because like, there'd be never any surprise? Well, I think particularly it wouldn't be unfulfilling for her with Picard because because of exactly the reason that she's attracted to him in this episode he is resisting but her. again we don't know if that's the reason or if because he's the first person she laid eyes on like to me it's very i mean maybe i'm just having a hard time wrapping my head around the um the 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 quantum problem of it all of like you know like me uh, I eat because I'm sad, but I'm sad because I eat. So, uh, which what, what, it's a cycle. I don't understand the cycle and how to break that cycle. Same thing over here with her, where it's like, uh, do, is she this person who wants Picard because she wants Picard, or is she this person that wants Picard because Picard's the first person she laid eyes on, and she convinced herself that he was the ambassador? And, like, once removed from stasis, like, that's the whole sort of, like, confusing thing to me. I hear you. It, 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 you don't like the ambiguousness. To well, me, I the ambiguousness. Well, I like the... The... Ambiguity. Yeah. And the logic. I have a logic problem with it. And I wish Troy what's, was around to help me with wh- this Wait, what's problem. the logic problem? Is she in love with Picard because of Picard, or is she in love with Picard because she's programmed to be in love with the first person she falls in love with? I guess it's my perspective that it's that's not a logic problem. That is an intentional ambiguity. And I think it is the ambiguity that is driving his confusion and um, and and conflict in this episode. Because on the one hand, he has all these feelings for her, and she's the perfect woman for him. And at the same time, he's aware of the reality you're discussing. And she's aware of it too, which is why it's so interesting to see how she sort of is making it happen, even though theoretically he should, the whole straight down the line should be like, this is not real. Everything you're giving me is not real. So in the end, it's like, is what she's giving him real or is what she's giving him uh, part of a manipulation? And I kind of love that as much as I love everything else, even though I still find it incredibly romantic. I think it's it's kind of romantic in a way that's that's more cynical because it's like, yeah, but you never really know anybody. 
Yeah, I kind of love it. I, I I think it's very genuine and sweet of you that you find this episode so uh, romantically charged. I think it's, uh, I it's probably... A... Maybe I'm broken inside because I'm not seeing it the way you're seeing it, but... Well, it also may be that Picard lives a totally solitary life. <laughs> you have a wife and child, so um, so it may, it may hit me where I live right now, <laughs> particularly now when we're all in our homes alone. Um, okay, let's uh, let's uh, change the pace and uh, there is and no see pace what the Ferengis it's have all the to same say. Pace. We know the lifestyle of the Creation Ambassador is the, far from comfortable. The, um, you the uh, Ferengis trying to uh, to uh, bribe uh, Dr. Hewer. Serve to live a life of luxury. How dare you suggest... What? Should you drive a hard bargain? 20,000, but not an ingot more. We must have the metamorph. She is the answer to a Ferengi prayer. We have a ship waiting to rendezvous with us in three hours. We can all transport off together. Thank you for sharing that information. I shall pass it on to Captain Picard. And then they grab him. Oh, and uh, Dr. Hewer Why are we his head replicating glass coffee tables out of non tempered glass? <laughs> really good point. <laughs> Just Maybe the like Ferengis replicated it themselves. <laughs> These barbarians don't have glass tables. Well, I mean, at least have tempered glass that'll fall into little droplets when you shatter it. Um, Laminate it even. I mean, there's so many other types of glass they could have used on this coffee table, Andy. Yes. Um, I, I, I totally agree. <laughs> uh, the main thing to me in this, this scene is just, again, the, the Ferengis bribe him. I mean, I understand why they would be foolish enough to think that would work because they can't see anything except greed. But what's their plan that they tell him that they're going to rendezvous with a ship and then they're like, oh, no, we shouldn't have told you that. I just feel like they're buffoons. The Frankie's a little craftier. How do these guys survive? They're written as buffoons. <laughs> and then they accidentally basically kill him. They don't kill him, but <laughs> it's just everything they do is absurd. Um, and like they don't okay. go, like they don't call for a doctor and make up a lie of like he fell. Yeah, <laughs> they just—they're terrible. The Ferengis are terrible. Um. So then uh, Kamala asks him to basically give her away, be her father in this scenario. Weird. Um, and uh, she's walking him through his paces, teaching him about the uh, what looks like a Torah. And, uh, and then this is the next scene. Alone on this journey. And I found myself thinking about all the curious questions you asked. You wanted to know who I am. And as I continue to ask myself, the only answer that comes to me is, I am for you, Ulrich of Vault. Because that's the truth. So, her pet name for him is Ulrich of Vault? One day I will bond with a man <laughs> I've never met. And I will turn myself into what he wants me to be for the rest of my life. I also once asked you 
if you were doing this of your own accord. I'm honored to be chosen to serve my people as an emissary of peace. But I find it ironic on the eve of this ceremony, which I've spent my entire life preparing for, that I should meet a man like you. So, oh yeah, let's, what's the end of that? Go ahead, number one. The Voltee's ship has arrived. Chancellor Ulrich is ready to beam aboard. Okay, so that's the other guy. Um, did you have something to say? Um, no. I mean, she says it there, right? When she says, I am for you, Ulrich of Vault. Well, I think she was just saying that's when she's trying to define her personality, that's the thing that comes into her head because that's what's been drilled into her every day for her whole life. But she's but she's thinking it's ironic because she's basically no, but like when she implying says, she's in love with him. When now. she says I am for you, Ulrich of Vault is she that quoting something? Or is yes, she... that's what she's supposed to say when she sees oh, the chancellor I thought for the first she time. She was saying it like that's like I literally thought that she was calling him Auric Vault. Calling oh, Picard. Is, is that the mythological names? No, no, no. I thought that's that that the was... guy she's supposed to. That's the guy who just beamed aboard. Yeah, yeah, Vault. Yeah, Auric Vault. Yes. And but I thought she was saying that to him because when she first laid eyes on him in the cargo bay that's what she called him are you saying that i'm not sure what you're saying i am saying that what she is saying there is when i called you orca vault that's who i thought you were i was committed to you you're saying that she was drilled it's because of her her uh or whatever genetic predisposition yeah. because she locked him in when she came out of yeah. the the cocoon that she sees Arica Vault emotionally when she looks she at him. She sees no, she treats him as the one she is committed to. Right. Um we could go back to the scene, but uh, people Not just the just, scene. Just, I'm saying like go just like jump back uh here, I'll do it. Just to that No, I know sentence. I no, you don't have to go back to this part. This part I understand. This part I don't think that's what she's saying here. I think this part she is saying that is how I've defined myself my whole life. But now I don't feel that way. Oh, I thought she was like, I still feel that way, and that's how I saw you. So, like, when you go back to this scene. I am for you, Ulrich of Vault. Right. So the question is, in that moment, has she bonded with him? Right. And I don't, I don't remember where in the episode. It feels like somewhere in the episode they say that the first person she looks at is the person she's supposed to bond with. But I think... It is also said that it's like at the that they have a certain amount of time before she is fully bonded to someone and it's toward the end of her development in this phase that she's in to reach full sexual maturation. Yes. And so I think the impl- implication is at the end when she's about to get married to him, she chooses to bond with Picard instead of him. Whereas at this point, it's not locked in yet because she was brought out of her cocoon early. I think she believes that it's not locked in, but I think it's locked in is what I'm saying. Well, okay, but that's that's your interpretation. I, don't, I think right. it's, it's open in the that's episode, what I'm, yeah. Well, I'm saying, like, was that line of dialogue, you know... I don't, I don't believe that that's what that's saying in that scene. Okay. But 
you can go back and play it if you want. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, you know what they said, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, so let me ask this. Do you think they intentionally cast a weird redheaded looking guy? Yes, I did. <laughs> and I feel like not as a redheaded person, it's really not fair to redheaded people. <laughs> but also, like, I was like, is the audience must be surprised at this? Because she has seen pictures of this guy and knows exactly what he looks like. So it's really just for our benefit that he's kind of weird. <laughs> you know what I guess it also implies if she's seen the holographs then it then she kind of thinks that this is that Picard is what this guy has aged into. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is very well, strange. <laughs> Your first officer has described the details of the incident with the Ferengis. How is the ambassador? He has not regained consciousness. A tragedy. Your willingness to assist is appreciated by both our peoples. They do do a good job Best. creating Although a guy that's just like, ugh, I'm married to that guy. <laughs> Finding some of the rituals rather demanding. Rituals? I am more concerned about the remaining provisions of the treaty. The proposed trade agreements are not acceptable. We still must review the uncommitted territories as well as discuss the schedule for exchange of technology. Creosians have authorized me to make several compromises favorable to your position. Good. Tomorrow, then. Briam has supervised the reproduction of the ancient temple of Akadar on our holodeck. Such a sentimental people, these Creosians. <laughs> it's hard to believe we have a common ancestry. <laughs> oh, but he's such a dick. <laughs> um, and then at the end, he says, uh, I don't even care about the... Yeah, here he goes. Sure. I suppose they've sent the metamorph. Kamala, yes. She's looking forward to meeting you. I'm sure she'll be satisfactory. Between you and me, Captain, I am far more interested in the trade agreements. That guy isn't taking a gander at Famke Jansen yet. Um, um, I wish ahead. Picard was like, oh, me too. Do we love each other? <laughs> <laughs> Um, so then she makes him his Earl Grey tea hot. Um, what more can you look for in a woman? And uh, and uh, is uh, is really turning up the heat in this last scene uh, <laughs> as she, he visits her in the quarters because she knows it's the eve of the wedding. Sorry. The starship captain must encounter all sorts of life forms. Am I one of the most unique you've ever met? They say yes. Yes. What a nice thing to say. <laughs> she touches his head. I've <laughs> well, done everything possible to discourage this. Maybe that's the perfect way to attract a metamorph. I don't want to use you as other men, though. But you're not other men. You can never use me. That's the very reason why I'm with you tonight. I use I you. Go. Other way around. And uh, you have an appointment tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I think that's accurate. Light years away. So, um... Uh, first of all, even just that 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 joke of her saying, you know, asking for the compliment, and then he gives her the compliment, 
really well delivered by Famke Jansen, Jansen. And uh, again, I think you could have had those same lines and had another day player come in and really ruin that joke. And she does it really nice and subtle. And I like the joke that it's like they're both to some degree in on it that she is, you know, yes, she's reading him. And um, I don't know. I just really like it. Uh, I did not ever interpret that as a joke. Well, she says, "What? What is it?" She says, she "Tell me him? that I'm one of the most unique pe- races or people you've ever met." Yes, and, and then he, goes, you he are. says, "You are." He says, and "She then, says, what a nice compliment." Yeah, <laughs> you think she's just being sincere, and there's no, there's no lyrical kind of like, "Oh, thank you for that compliment." I didn't see it that way, but you're pointing it out makes me go, "Oh, I guess they." I feel like it must be because they both smile after there. Yeah. After that. Um, so here's my question to you. Do they sleep together? I, I don't believe so. Well, that would certainly support Andy's theory. <laughs> 100%. If Picard doesn't sleep with her in that scene, then uh, Picard has not had sex and will not have sex. Andy's theories are very interesting because he's really smart. Uh, but I would love to know what everybody else thinks because I feel like... They definitely leave it in the dark, uh, so to speak. But um, anyway, uh, and then here's this very interesting scene between him and Beverly, which I think reveals a lot of the levels of the Beverly-Picard relationship. I think he went right back to his quarters and made Beverly make him tea so he could chit-chat with his Why gal pal. Yeah, I agree. Or he was trying I'm to sorry. recreate somebody else making him tea. Penny. What? For your thoughts. Penny, for your what thoughts. What is it? What? Huh? Do you have one? I'm sure the replicator will have one on file. Beverly, may I take off the uniform for a moment? Finally. So, that's a... That's an interesting moment to throw in the middle of the scene, especially where he's about to go. <laughs> and I thought it was intentional. I thought it was interesting that it's like, oh, there is a little bit of flirtation between them still. Um, and it layers a weird level of this com- this conversation that is similar to the optimal interpretation of the Riker-Troy relationship where they have some sort of on-again, off-again relationship uh, but also are friends with each other and it, I don't know that, that these two are having, uh, going to the bone zone going to the, the strike zone? Is that what we said the strike zone was? <laughs> the strike zone is is um, uh, your, your private area Right, your private area <laughs> um, uh, but, uh, but I find it to be an interesting layering of uh, nuance but in a relationship I need to talk to a friend of course actually it's all your fault mine you insisted that I look into her situation the metamorph the metamorph Kamala I spent quite a lot of time with her in the past few days And you're right about several things, Beverly. Her entire existence has been orchestrated for this moment, and she intends to go through with it. To help her people end the war. And you're saying there's nothing you can do about it? It isn't that simple. 
I barely know who she is and and who she is changes the moment the next man comes into the room. And I find myself hoping that the next man won't come in. But of course he does, and in a few hours the ceremony will begin and she will she will mate with a man who cares more about trade agreements than he cares about her. And I can't help thinking how she will be with him. How she will change to accommodate him. I wish I knew how I could help. Perhaps I just needed a shoulder. Well, it's there for you, Jean-Luc. It always has been. I also like that, that I kind of what I want at the end of that scene is for her to give him some kind of uh, advice or clarity or clarification of like, and this is where you are or for him to say it. And they don't say it. And I kind of think that's a cool ambiguity that it's like, yes, I understand all these complex feelings you have and your complex perspectives on the situation. There are no clear answers, which is what love is. Huh, Matt? Uh, look, the script included an unused optional fantasy scene in which Picard, just before the actual ceremony, daydreamed that he spoke out at the wedding to claim Kamala as his own. Crazy! So, I don't know what that tells us, if anything, but, yeah. I'm pretty sure that would have uh, really put a dent in my appreciation of this episode. <laughs> Is it right before she's about to get married? Not even met him. No longer matters. I wish I could convey to you what it's like to be a metamorph. To feel the inner strength of someone. To realize that being with him is opening your mind and heart to endless new possibilities. To hear yourself say, I like myself when I'm with him. Kamala. For a metamorph, there's no greater pleasure and no greater wish than to bond with that kind of mate at the end of the finish roll, as I've bonded with you. With me? Who I am today, I will be forever. Data to Captain Picard. Not our data. But sir, <laughs> that is, I don't know if that's an intentional joke, but that is one of the funniest things in the episode. <laughs> Um, and I guess the, the, one of the questions is whether you think she's an outright liar. She says, who I am today is who I will be forever. And I don't feel like it's implied that she's a liar. Well, she does say things people want to hear, correct? That is true. However, she also is who the people want her to be. So the question is... If she was not a liar in this scene, mm-hmm. and then this is this is a classic, uh, uh, one of us always tells the truth, one of us always lies question. Well, it's, um, it's how they so, got off of uh, Mud's planet there with all the androids. I know. So if she, if she says, who I am today is who I will always be, and he would never want her to lie, and then she's with him, the next guy, Ulrich, 
And then he doesn't care if she's a liar. And so he adjusts to her. She adjusts to him. Then um, can she be a liar? Because she would have she would have been making herself a liar before. You know what I'm saying? I think uh, she is not done changing today. And she used the word today instead of right now. No, she says, who I am today is who I will be forever. Yes, today. So maybe she means in six hours. No, she says, the person I am today is who... Today. Oh, you're saying... Oh, I see. You're saying... Who, saying so she could be saying, the person who I am later today is who I yeah. will always be. <laughs> Otherwise, she would say, who I am right now. Yeah, that's true. That's, that's very shifty. <laughs> she seems to be inherently shifty. I don't know. I'm going to choose to interpret the most romantic interpretation. Acknowledge. You can't go through with the ceremony. Would you ask me to stay and ask two armies to keep fighting? No, and you know that. Having bonded with you, I've learned the meaning of duty. He'll never know. I'm still empathic. I will be able to please him. I only hope he likes Shakespeare. And uh, that's pretty much it. And then they get married. Um, and he has to play his xylophone. But then look at this guy stand up. Doesn't he look like a giant? Let's see. Hit play. There? It was right where it was paused. I didn't I didn't stop over. Are you saying there? I'm saying like when he stands up from the chair. I got it. Just to, it's okay. really a visual thing only for me and Andy. This but is, this is what I'm doing I the really, best I can. You told really me to take watch over. Watch this. Watch him stand up. He looks huge, right? Ready? Yes, he does the ceiling look huge. is like a half inch from his head. It I does really look like was watching this, and I was like, "Wait a second, is he a giant now? Yeah, does he grow on his wedding day? What else are these people able capable of? They're not telling us about." It's really a great set. Uh, you don't even want to hear the. Uh... And, and Kamala was able to guide me through the rituals. I must admit, I am curious. Curious. I was chosen for this mission for a very simple reason. I'm 200 years old. The temptations of a beautiful metamorph do not easily reach me. And yet I would be lying if I were to claim that even at my age they they do not reach me at all. But you, you worked with her side by side for days. How could you resist her? Ambassador, have a safe trip home. That's how he leaves it. Yeah. I like that he doesn't answer it. It's a very... I don't know. It's a very complex episode. And look, also, in regards to all the the um, the perspectives on gender and everything, uh, I'm fully open to being told I'm way off base on giving this more credit than it deserves. So, uh, But uh, it seems like they're really trying to present a very complex relationship 
and uh, and nuances and like it has very a lot of different sides and that's the reason I enjoy this episode one of the many reasons and it's got Famke Jensen in it <laughs> which granted I'm sure has tempered my perspective to a large degree uh well then, I guess that does it for the episode. So let's give it an MVC. Well, it's the MVC, yeah, the MVC. Only Matt and Andy know who it's gonna be. Will it be Data, Riker, Troy, or Dr. Crusher? If you don't like who they pick, just remember that this podcast is free. Um, I can tell you. It's got to be Picard, right? Because it's certainly not Worf, because he's terrible at security this episode. I'll tell you who I think it is, if I can come up with the name. Um, the transporter chief pulls those people right out of there. But that sets off the, the chain of events. in the one episode. That sets off the chain of events that... Makes uh, everything go. Uh, she doesn't even have a name. It's April Grace. Oh, you're, you're saying that she she did a bad thing by by uh, saving the the Frankie. Yeah, she might be the least valuable. I mean, she caused this whole rigmarole. <laughs> All right, that's a fair fair point. How about minor number two? Uh, he was um, good. He, he's the one who said uh, that the replicators were broken, right? I'm in. Yeah. I like minor number two, but he was a civilian. No, they're not. Crew. No, no. It's By the way, those those uh, minor faces are the most hilariously generic Star Trek alien faces. They look you've ever straight seen. out of the original series, and I appreciate yeah. that. Uh, um, but so you're saying it's Picard? It why? Be. Just because he gave up? He gave her up for? Because if what you're saying about the episode is true, he gave up a lifetime of love for the duty to these two warring planets. The only problem there is that the very end, he almost tries to go back on it. He almost tries to go back on it. He says, you can't marry him. Well, that's because he didn't know that she was bonded. He was also being like, well, you can now can't endure a life of uh, unhappiness just on my account. I'm, I mean, that's so that was on her on her behalf. But at the same time, he would have been sacrificing the, you know, who, who knows how many millions Probably of lives. Probably not because he knows that that guy... Oh, that guy doesn't care about trade agreements. Yeah, that is a weird aspect of it that it feels like there would have been more room to blow this blow this all up because he's like, well, I don't really care. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, then why don't we just make peace and make the treaties? Yeah. Um, is there anyone else it could be? You're right that Worf doesn't really do shit. Nobody else is really. You know what? Crusher. I'm gonna give it to. Well, sorry, Crusher maybe. Yeah, I was gonna say Crusher for being the. His his the ear sounding board though she's really the sounding board yeah she doesn't really help him solve anything. Is it Jordy for setting up that stasis field without a field around it? <laughs> Is that a it's negative. Picard. It's Picard. I don't know why we're arguing about not arguing why we are stammering. It's around. a real. It's only it's a tough one. I would say minimally, Picard is definitely the one who attempts to do something. Yeah, so I would say I'll not agree. a lot. It's not Picard. a lot. Again, not a lot happens in this episode, which leads me to the following. 
How many Andy's does this episode get? You go first. Uh, it's not an episode I rewatch ever. Uh, skip it if it's on. Don't care for it that much. Seeing it through Andy's eyes has improved the enjoyment a little bit. I can see where he's coming from. I appreciate the hopeless romantic inside of our dear friend Andy, who, in fact, does. <laughs> Andy needs a girlfriend. Um, so I will bump it up a little bit for some of the character moments of Picard. As Andy said, it is, it is, uh intriguing to sort of find out what it is Picard wants in a lady uh, or a mate and I uh, will give it a uh, 3.5 uh, wow so it came all the way up to 3.5 wonder what it would have been before um, I uh, I really enjoy this episode I think it really emotionally moved me I think I really empathized with Picard um, I think it's a great, beyond the fact that uh, Famke Janssen's just spectacular uh, uh, as a to look at. Um, I think she really does a fantastic job. When most guest people in this uh, guests in this kind of romantic, I mean, look at all of male and female. Look at all the the guest uh, romantic leads against Riker and Troy. They're all just a bunch of. Um, Weird performances. Where do you where do you put her with Vosh? Uh, I I put her way above Vosh. Mm-hmm. I'd be like the and that's to a to a large degree that's on um that's on the writing, but but the Vosh character I think is very is very cartoonish, and the interaction between them is very cartoonish, and that's really the thing I like the best about this episode is it's very adult and. Um, and it's kind of like you know what it reminds me of is uh, Maltese Falcon. In Maltese Falcon, um, uh, I think it's Mary Astor is clearly working Humphrey Bogart the whole the whole movie, and uh, and yet he allows himself to have feelings for her anyway, and they even discuss it that she's working him. And I think this had that kind of quality to it and uh, I just really think it's interesting and complex and adult and the stuff about her adjusting to him was really an interesting discussion and the nuances in their in his relationship with Beverly is really satisfying so I give it an 8.5 wildly different ratings from both of us everybody yeah I wonder if that's the biggest split we've ever had I don't know, but I can tell you that we are not going to be split next week. I've sent Andy the trailer for next week's episode. It is uh, Imaginary Friend, which I, quite frankly, oof. All right. (laughs) Not a... No, not a fan. So for you, this is a run of a bunch of bad ones. Oh, it's the worst, uh, one of the worst runs in the series history. I'm ready whenever you are. Uh, we'll hit play in three, two, one, play. All right. An innocent girl creates the ultimate fantasy. How come I can see you? A real live imaginary friend. No one will know. It'll be our secret. Jesus but has she unleashed a demon in disguise? <laughs> that thing's feeding off our shields. And can anything stop its reign of terror? You can die along with everyone else. Oh, my God. Find out. <laughs> On Star Trek, The Next Generation. That is I hope you're all amazing. ready for that. That is crazy town. <laughs> oh, it's such a bad, bad, 
Bad run. Bad run, guys. Uh, yeah, that does it, everybody. If you're a patron, go ahead and refresh your podcast feed over there. You got a very, very long three-hour episode discussing uh, Discovery, episode eight and nine, or nine and ten. I forget. Yeah. Two of those episodes are discussed in, in a short, short three hours. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Captain Marvel Andy and I will be recording that this week so presidents uh, beware it's coming and uh, otherwise we'll see you all here next week for what I would describe as uh, not a good episode and what it makes not a good episode it seems like children and Counselor Troy children and Counselor Troy <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like a Carson Reed <laughs> <laughs> Karnak. Uh, what is a uh, children and Counselor Troy? What is a uh, terrible episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation? Alexander Loxana. <laughs> uh, all right, everybody, you're awesome. Thank you all so much. We'll see you again. Disengage. So loud, I couldn't even hear you say disengage. Follow Star Trek The Next Conversation on social media. You can find them on Instagram and Twitter at Star Trek TNC. On Facebook, search for Star Trek TNC and join the face group. Send comments, questions, prime correctives, and anything else to sttncpod at gmail.com. And if you'd like to leave a voice hail, call 816-TREK-TNC. That's 816-873-5862. For callers outside of the United States, use country code PLUS1. And don't worry, no one answers the phone, it's only for messages. If you've got something to mail to Matt or Andy, send it to Andrew Secunda, P.O. Box 46898, Los Angeles, California, 90046. And please send an email to let them know that something is coming. Finally, to support the podcast and get even more content, visit patreon.com forward slash Star Trek TNC. Be a lieutenant for only $5 per month or join the President Circle for $17.01 per month.